0: Good afternoon, morning, or potentially evening, everybody out there on the internet. My name is Dan, and this is episode 69 of the Lookout, Sir, Warhammer 40,000 podcast. Welcome, one and all, to this, the 69th episode of this fabulous, you know, outrageous romp through the wondrous world of Warhammer 40,000. And joining me as ever to, you know, embark on this incredible adventure is my good buddy Phil. How's it going, Phil?
1: I'm very good, thank you. Um,
0: Did you enjoy my tee-hee-hee to indicate that, you know, the number 69 is synonymous with filth?
1: I know. I I sort of feel like we should be reviewing the Hedonites of of Slanash. uh, Well, potentially. We um, should diversify our portfolio. Exactly. Do some AOS and then we can uh, stick it in.
0: Exactly. Exactly. But we're not doing that, actually. What are we doing today, Phil? What's on the agenda?
1: Well, I believe we're talking about terrain. All things terrain. The rules, the models the what does it mean building tables anything to do with terrain that's what we're talking the, about
0: the dark arts of board and or terrain manufacture and the impact that it has on our gaming world yes uh, it, yeah
1: but the, the one thing that everyone needs technically to play a game but so few people actually own
0: i mean they do take up a lot of space but you know let's uh, let's before we get into all of that hit things off with a five-star review. Well, howdy, partner. These boys keep joshing us about with all their chitter-chatter about little plastic figurines. They've asked me to do this jingle for them. I don't know what they're talking about half the time. But anyway, now it's time for that five-star review. Thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. And let's all pray that it doesn't go on as long as it did last week. Yeah. So, Phil this five-star review comes from australia again we've had a lot of uh a lot of uh australians sharing their love i feel mm-hmm. like uh clearly we were a best-kept secret for the united kingdom but we have now obviously been discovered by our brethren our 40k fan boys and girls in the land down under so yeah we've, we've had a we've good gone, amount of
1: we've gone global
0: we have gone global. I mean, to be honest, though, I imagine that this show works better for Australians than it does for those in America, uh, given the fact that some of the kind of general sentiment and, uh, you know, uh, ideologies and humour that we uh, that we try to uh, exemplify. In this You're podcast. talking about
1: the, the, the 80s cartoon references that they surely have that the Americans wouldn't.
0: Maybe. Maybe. I mean, again, it's it, it's difficult to know. But my point is, is, it's obviously great to see all this love from the Australians. Uh, and obviously, we appreciate that. But we obviously appreciate whatever love we can get from wherever it's coming from. So if any of you out there wish to, uh, you know, further supply us with love, uh, you need only go on to places where it is possible to leave a five-star review and do so. And eventually, you'll get called out on the show. Much like John uh, Pastor... Lyak, Iyak, Ilik Pastor Lelak, via Apple Podcasts of Australia. Uh, he has said, a wonderful escape, five stars. Magical. Uh, my favorite 40K podcast, the lovely dulcet tones of Phil, Dan, and Joe, uh, and the ever-extending run times makes this the perfect escape from a crazy, world now obviously we probably need to acknowledge the fact that the run times have been slightly more streamlined lately due to our no- new weekly format and obviously we don't have joe anymore so there is a certain level of uh of uh you know disingenuousness to uh to this pod- uh, podcast review but we still feel like we deserve this five-star review phil right
1: oh for sure i mean even for a weekly podcast we are still probably three times the length of an average podcast <laughs> so we're still up there we've got we're still up there we've got the numbers in terms of the number of minutes and seconds that this podcast will run for
0: there you go there we are those aren't rookie numbers this is uh, this is the uh, the way it goes and
1: obviously the lack of
0: joe i feel is only uh, only enhanced things no, I, mean, obviously I don't feel that i miss him dearly oh. <laughs> but anyway the banter off tangent conversations and love of tea makes it feel all the more homely now i have to admit I do not have a great love affair with tea, but Phil here easily compensates for that. I mean, how many teas have you had today, Phil?
1: A good no, seven to eight, easily. Oh, no, eight teas? Easily, yeah. I Mate, have... that is
0: more teas than I have probably drank in 10 years. Jeez.
1: You're doing it wrong.
0: Mate, clearly. I, 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 I'm not even that much of a coffee guy right like that's the other thing like people say to me like oh you you in- big into coffee then it's like no not really i just, just drink water all the time I'm really boring
1: well it is well that is also you know good to do you're meant to have like your odd two liters isn't it a day mm-hmm. your, your minimum i do that but then i also have another five liters of tea on top
0: my goodness man i mean tea is the drink of doers though isn't it you know your productive drink the tea maybe i should indoctrinate uh, it it, in it does but tea. it
1: also explains why i spend so much time going to the loo
0: Well, exactly. Exactly. It gives
1: you a bit of a weak bladder.
0: Do you ever treat yourself to a garden wee?
1: Um, No, I I try to avoid that. I think there's been one or two times uh, in this house where um, the bathroom has been occupied by a small child having Mm. a bath or shower or whatever, and they're going to be in Mm. there for a good half an hour, Mm. and I've been drinking copious amounts of tea or water in the shed, and I come in... I literally got to go, and I've just had no other choice but to water some plants. Well, there you um, go. See, so, yeah. I would
0: say it is my preference to have a garden. <laughs> really? I actually find it really—it's ex- something I don't know. It's something very weird about me. Is though. it the, I, the
1: I, naturist in you?
0: Yeah, I think that's what it is. That is what it is. The only risky thing, right? And I know where this is going off a tangent from this five-star review. The only risky thing is uh, the school bus stops exactly <laughs> outside my back garden. Right, the so kids doing the school run. And in the winter months, where the trees have, uh, you know, have dispersed, shedded their leaves, mm. it's very clear what I'm up to. Should the kids' bus arrive at that time, so I'm always conscious of the fact that, you know, it, when the kids' bus arrives around, say, like three o'clock. So, so it's a no weeing zone between two and five. But oh, outside of those okay. hours, it's uh, yeah, it's just a, it's just pandemonium. It's, 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 it's. Terrific. Anyway, Next episode,
1: um, you end up on some kind of list is what you're saying.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm forever avoiding those uh, potential perils. Um, you know, it's 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 a balancing act. Uh, anyway, combined with some excellent 40K knowledge, which is obviously nice of you to say, uh, not being afraid to speak unpopular truths and making a bold grandstanding statements uh, without having read the facts. It's easy to win, an easy win for me. I mean, all of that is accurate. We do definitely possess a certain amount of knowledge, and we do like to make rather grand statements uh, without having any real understanding of what we're talking about. So that's good. Uh, although the two don't necessarily feel like they combine that much. But here we are. Uh, it, it's an easy win for me. Bonus points. They are English, which is true, and their banter and humour translates for us Australians. Need to keep up the great work team. John Pastor i look whatever his name is uh there you go i told you at the start phil see australian humor resonates relatively well with english humor
1: fact he said it
0: there anyway come on we've taken long enough over this as it is phil say thank you and let's get on
1: with it well well well, thank you john and the name rang a bell it's it's pastor i think it's levac it's double l e v a c
0: oh i couldn't Um, tell if that was because it's weird because it i thought it was a capital i but it well okay, it's either it's... two
1: capitalized or two lowercase l's well, it could be a capital i know.
0: and a lowercase l
1: Um but i recognize the name uh we follow each other on instagram and uh Ooh. i'll plug him in fact pasta underscore levac double l e v a c is a very good instagram account his uh the quality of his work is top notch i highly recommend it uh thank you for the kind words as well uh, about the show, not just me, but Dan included, and that other person who you know went somewhere. Um, glad you, glad you're enjoying the show. Glad you enjoy the the English humour, the cups of tea. Uh, thank you very much.
0: There we go, beautifully done. As I say, if anyone else would like their five star review read out on the interwebs just leave us one somewhere equally you could go to our youtube page our facebook page our instagram page and say nice things in those domains and we'll probably seek to regurgitate it here uh because as we've made it abundantly clear we have little to no scruples when it comes to this stuff we're just out there for all the love so thank you very much everyone we hope you enjoy the show we're going to get straight into it after the traditional transitional noise Woo! So let's now have a conversation about what some go so far as to call the third player of the game, and that is the terrain or the board of which you play Warhammer 40,000 upon. So I think everyone's journey is relatively different with terrain and the table of which you play tabletop wargaming on, but it is fair to assert that in so many instances, It is incredibly rare for a 40K gamer specifically or any tabletop war gamer to prioritize boards. I think it's much more of a a necessity than we necessarily acknowledge a lot of the time. But the willingness of players early doors to want to build tables or build terrain or build, you know, gaming spaces is probably very low on the list of priorities, wouldn't you say so, Phil?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think there's people that do enjoy it and they do prioritize it. And that's like their thing. The, mm. There's definitely some amazing uh, sort of scenery builders out there mm. either on YouTube or on Instagram or just out in the wild. But they are like the exception that proves the rule. Like yeah. most people either don't own any terrain. They own very little of it. It's possibly quite basic or not even painted. Mm. Um, I think even a lot of people like myself... I, I've got a small amount of terrain. Um, mm. I don't have a table big enough to play 40k on. I mean, mm. in the, with the new size, potentially just about I could squeeze a game on. The terrain yeah. I have got built is the kill team, and um, it was the kill team uh, Sector Imperialis stuff. So I've got some nice ruins. Mm. Um, it's just all built. I like the fact that it's colored plastic, so I don't need to worry too much about painting it. But mm. I do keep looking at it going, I should really paint it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting because I would argue probably pff, maybe 10% of 40K gamers aggressively invest in terrain. And I would say of that 10%, maybe 25% of that, a quarter of that, actually become really dedicated to uh, you know manufacturing tables and terrain as part of their active hobby uh, because it does require a lot of space. I mean, it's someone who... Has amassed a lot of terrain and has sought to paint and and make lots and lots of, uh, you know, terrain so as to facilitate my own personal gaming space. I can easily, uh, you know, agree that 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 it is a very labor intensive but also very uh, space consuming part of the hobby. And I understand, you know, as a kid getting into this you're probably not going to be prioritizing building a massive board or getting a fantastic range of beautiful terrain but that in a way becomes one of the more interesting aspects of it because ultimately it is by far and away the most important thing when it comes to playing this game because if you do not have a surface to play on uh, and some you know terrain features to immerse you into you know the the atmosphere the the the, the hobby World that 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 you know the fictional universe that we're creating around ourselves here, it, it definitely does break the immersion and also render the requirement for you to paint these beautiful miniatures so well very, uh, you know, relatively obsolete. And I think you know for myself, Phil. I don't know what your early experiences were, but I always remember that uh, when I was a child growing up, we had a really large green table that my dad had uh, had 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 built. Uh, for me and my brothers, when we were really young kids, uh, to put, uh, what was called a Brio set on it. So in the uh, UK, there was this like old, uh, train set, like this wooden train set kit called Brio. Uh, and it was all just like wooden, you know, train tracks that you would lay out, lay out on the floor. My dad had taken it upon him to, to, you know, to build this really nice long table. I mean, it was it was longer than it was wide by quite a significant margin. I would probably say it was probably like a two-foot by six-foot table, so it was very narrow, very long. But my early 40K experiences was essentially repurposing that with the card terrain that came in the second edition box set. Oh, old,
1: yeah, I remember I was, the card terrain, yeah. yeah, yeah prior yeah. to that, and, I did the old uh, green felt um sheets uh but that was more predominantly when i was uh probably a bit younger like 10 or 12 and was playing uh, warhammer fantasy um mm-hmm. and not 40k i think when i got to 40k it was i'm just probably doing it on my mate's carpet uh yeah. with some bits or on a table again no kind of colored board or anything yeah and- i mean
0: it was crazy right because i mean you know, I would go around my friend's place and we might play on his kitchen table with just, you know, the odd pile of books, maybe, uh, you know, an ice cream tub and something like that. Yeah. It was always like really, really lo-fi in terms of what it was that we were playing with. Um, I, I Did but, yeah. Did you
1: make those cactus items, the Warhammer, Citadel, like terrain-making book? They had some great things. One of them was like a ball of polystyrene that you mm. you blast, I think, with like a hairdryer or something that sort of makes all the um, polystyrene like bobble up and gives it a rough surface. And then you chuck a load of cocktail sticks in there to make a kind of cactus uh sizing that was one of the few bits of train i think i actually remember making and i think still have somewhere amazing like, tucked away in my parents loft
0: Oh uh, if it wasn't in your parents loft, you should have gone and tried to find it so as you could have posted it on instagram around this uh oh, true around yeah. this episode is a little callback to it but yeah i think no i never made that one i made uh a lot of um bunkers a lot of um industrial buildings uh my granddad was uh, a really great woodworker uh, and he had a fantastic um workshop uh, for when he used to be a professional carpenter and uh, me and my brothers would muck around in there building like you know these more industrial shapes where it was easy to get like little offcuts of wood and, and make it into different things and there was a number of like uh items that we were all quite proud of my brother Rory made this absolutely fantastic Orc fortress thing because he was really a dab hand when it came to, uh, to to more kind of, you know, sculpting and making stuff. And, you know, we were lucky in that regard because we were all quite creative and quite invested in early doors. So we, we, we built up a relative collection of it. But, you know, ultimately as time went on as you know people fall out of the hobby i mean my brother's all lost interest in this hobby as we went along i'm the only fools i know fools fools i mean or or am i think how
1: much think how much money they've saved
0: i know i know right i know but um yeah don't 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 make me think about that make me cry um but yeah i suppose that's the thing isn't it right because early doors we all have these much more low-key things and i think as well though I think what was really interesting for me as a player is that because I've grown up with this hobby, because I've gone through the various stages of different levels of financial and 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 you know general kind of like space abilities, as it were. You know, at the end of the day, it was very difficult for me to convince my mother that, you know, we should dedicate a part of the house to this very specific hobby. I mean, that was that was crazy. Whereas mm. now You know, I have my own house. I can dedicate the space that I feel is necessary, that I can negotiate with my uh, with my darling wife anyway. Uh, And, you know, ultimately now I'm in that situation where I can start to build boards and have them permanently housed and, and tables and things like that, which is fantastic. And, you know, I think if we go back through the history of things, early doors, Games Workshop, as you've alluded to, Phil, with what you were saying about you know, how they used to write White Dwarf articles and how they used to do stuff. It was all about experimentation. It was all about expression. It was all about you doing what you wanted to make a battlefield that that ultimately, you know, met your expectations. And Games Workshop stores were the same. I always remember you go into a Games Workshop store, all those tables were custom. Like, they were all custom jobs. Like, maybe some of them just had the standard old forests that were you know taken from train sets or whatever and they had the imperial bastion or the uh, or the imperial uh, there was another like tall tower one like a bunker system and the rest of it and these were like cardboard terrain pieces with like little plastic oh,
1: that was wasn't it the imperial bastion was the car uh, ju- that was the like large one yeah oh, I mean, there was a fire base yeah, yeah i think yeah, i yeah, had yeah, one yeah, of yeah. those there was a cool uh, sort of bunker almost like a sort of entrenched uh wall like a defense line because it had yeah. like, two bunkers at either side i think that was a tutorial in one of the white dwarfs that i remember doing that was good fun
0: when yeah, yeah. using
1: cereal cardboard <laughs> to build those
0: those were the days man and that's the thing though right like i mean that was that was the situation you go into games workshop stores all the boards were customized and the guys were doing like hobby, uh, you know, classes on making certain bits of terrain. And it was a, you know, it was so much more of a creative outlet within the hobby and, and, and something that was very different back then. Uh, but obviously as time goes on, GW has now standardized their terrain kits. It's become another revenue stream for them. They, they've, uh, uh, you know, embrace that part of their business and now do a number of, uh, you know, official GW products that they specifically write rules for. And what's interesting to me is, is really kind of exploring that concept and then trying to kind of debate the impact of that, but then also the impact of the third parties and what they're doing with their own terrain kits. That's being, you know, people like Battlefield in a Box that are uh, producing, you know, these really fantastic, uh, you know, straight out of the box kits where you just basically pull the thing out of the box and it's ready to use. Mm. Uh, you've got all the various different manufacturers of MDF terrain and what they're doing in that space and a Did number of other. Did you see that?
1: Um, I think it was like maybe a Kickstarter. It's like a pop-up book terrain so there's a bunch of pop-up books that you open up and the terrain like the ruins fold up pop up yeah that's a bit mad but quite ingenious at the same time
0: yeah it's incredible right and there's so much choice and there's so much stuff and i think i guess before we get into that we should probably start by talking about the realm of battle boards so For those of you who blinked and missed it, because I appreciate some people are new to the hobby or returning to the hobby or any variable there are of, uh, but Games Workshop's most, uh, you know, Uh, robust solution to the uh, tabletop gaming situation was to produce plastic boards that went under the name of Realm of Battle. Uh, And for Warhammer 40,000, you had a handful of different options. You could either uh, in the end, you could either just get the standard Realm of Battle, which was essentially a series of hills and flat panels that were textured with you know mud effects and you could obviously paint these up and flock them and do that side of things so they had a good level of sort of 3d space as these hills were kind of built into these uh into these plastic boards uh, you also had these cities of death uh boards as well which were notoriously uh, dodgy because they had all of these like guttering systems molded into it so again another nice 3d effect but if you ever try to roll a dice on them you inevitably never could roll a dice properly because yeah. they would always inevitably fall into the guttering
1: um, am, and I right? be am i right in thinking they don't sell those anymore
0: correct yeah so those are now discontinued you can find them on their web store but they are not for sale
1: i think they still maybe sell like one tile from time to time for like armies on parade or like your local games workshop will sell that it's weird because that was the last sort of um kind of plastic games workshop tiled uh table system that they had and that one actually only came out maybe four five years ago maybe it was a bit more but it was rea- it feels oh, a lot more, was it i, 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 yeah, I i'm pretty more. sure maybe it was like eight but even then like mate, the, well, are you talking about the original realm no, no not the original The 15 oh, years okay. of death one because i remember that came out when i got back into the hobby which is possibly yeah under 10 years ago but yeah, i mean 10 yeah. years for a lot of people is still a long time so
0: Oh, totally, mate, totally. And the thing is, like, you know, they introduced those things, and then they also had a range of Forge World tiles that were, you know, varying different things. That they also introduced like the Zone Mortalis boards that now have become their own set. But you know, this was game changing for so many people because prior to this, the idea of a of a modular table solution. Was completely alien to us, you know. No one had really standardised anything. No one had really kind of agreed on any specific type of, of of format for this. And all of a sudden, Games Workshop comes along and they go, "Here's our six by four table solution," uh, and it's six by four because I guess that's just how it ended up that they were able to do these two by two tiles, and that's just where we landed. And the realm of battle boards really, you know, changed the landscape of the game because all of a sudden. Every store, every, you know, gaming uh, location was using these these realm of battle boards. And all Mm. of a sudden, the custom tables with all the nice little, you know, nuances that those brought about all started to erode away. And over time, Games Workshop themselves got really creative with how they use those. I mean, famously, Games Workshop used to have this absolutely gorgeous gaming table at warhammer world where they had taken all of the realm of battle boards and essentially used all the hill sections and then used the uh the uh lower areas beneath the hills to then turn those into like uh, a dam and they had it all like filled with water and stuff yeah it was gorgeous man like they had this real. so they you know they got really creative over time but ultimately you know, these became the kind of standard. So when you go to Warhammer, or well, when you did go to Warhammer World, every single table were these rounder battle boards.
1: Yeah. And there was even the um so Forge World not only did the like city ones that had a bit of height to them, um, mm. but they also did just custom sort of one-off ones. So there was a downed Thunderhawk uh, yep. as one. There's one that you've got which is like a little um sort of bunker system, there was the sort of space marine sort of sky port another um like firebase one that they did as well so they did a whole bunch of different tiles that you could get a yeah. little plug in and they would all fit with the kind of classic hills um realm of battle tiles which was all yeah. quite ingenious
0: yeah and um, what was interesting about realm of Battle was is it was really innovative in a lot of ways it was really good for a number of reasons but it was also not nearly as intrusive as maybe people thought it might have been early doors because one thing it was as much as anything else was expensive and it was still cheaper for people to do their own custom jobs in their own homes or to build their own stuff. And some people were still very invested in that side of the hobby back then, right? So even though Realm of Battle existed and it had done a lot to standardize a number of aspects, it wasn't. Really robbing people of their creativity, in so much as people were still kind of embracing that. And also, because of how Realm of Battle was, it was still embracing a certain level of kind of 3D visuals within the way the tables were laid out. Uh, and there was still a lot of verticality. There was still a lot of different kind of surfaces that you played over. Um, yeah. So I think Realm was, of Battle. It was a good be- base
1: for like mm. just for adding in your own terrain on top, really.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. For me, I look at Realm of Battle and I think that Realm of Battle is still one of the best broad solutions. There are things I don't like about it and things that I, I always struggled with, uh, especially when Games Workshop used to start using them in battle reports in White Dwarf magazine. Because uh, one of the things that really always frustrated me about Realm of Battle was the fact that the 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 lines were clearly drawn So you always sort of broke your immersion a bit because you always saw the cracks, as it were. Mm. So there was a charm to the old tables because no one, they were mostly built as one big piece. So you never had to see the fact that there was a clear two-by-two square.
1: I mean, I think most people understand that's the practical trade-off of do you want something modular? Then you're going to have these sort of joins on every Mm. two-by-two. Versus one custom table which doesn't have it, but then that is literally one table that you're stuck with, and it's not yes. modular at all. No, um, absolutely.
0: But by that minor gripe of the overall system, I still think Realm of Battle works really well, and I think it, you know, is enough of an interesting modular system that it creates some interesting things. So it, for me, I look at the Realm of Battle period of time, and I think to myself that was a net positive overall. I still don't. I think it was a useful solution. I don't necessarily think it was the best in some regards, but I think at least it satisfied a very specific niche and gave people something I And what was your vibe on Realm of Battle, Phil? I mean, you you, you played your fair share of games on Realm of Battle, boards. what do you reckon of them?
1: For sure. Um, I really like them. Like, they're still good even to this day, I guess a little bit dated. The the city one that the Games Workshop uh, produced, like the plastic one, um Mm. looks lovely but very overly detailed Mm. and as you said not the best to actually play on in terms of rolling your dice Um, and really doesn't work with terrain either. well well, the weird thing about that is that was when they that was just before they started to release sector imperialis Mm. and a whole new suite of terrain But none of it fitted. Like there was, they deliberately designed roads and places for where your buildings could go, but nothing actually slotted together. So if your column pieces could have actually somehow slotted into the board and it Mm. was a bit more of a solid base in the same way how the new Necromunda floor tiles slot in with the columns like that would have been fantastic but that was just weirdly maybe too ahead of its time for them to do that so it sort of slightly sat on top but could move around because there was always weird gaps around um so that one was an odd one to play on i've seen some amazing um like conversions using that board like at warhammer world they did one where they kind of laid the roads at an angle and they obviously had to cut bits out of it so it was everything was at like a 45 degree angle and then mm. they made it multi-level so the road mm. went up a floor and then they had other bits of detail filling in uh, the sides effectively yeah um those look phenomenal and have been some of the best games i've played on those sort mm. of really custom uh, jobs obviously that's a lot of work to sort of make yourself but you what i like about all the Games Workshop terrain is it allows you as a good base to... You can just throw some standard scatter terrain down on the table, Mm -hmm. but you can also go to town on it. It's like back in the day when pretty much all you had was the Imperial Bastion. People Mm -hmm. would still just take... 20 of those kits and make amazing towers or fortresses and all sorts. And even with the old, was it cities of death terrain, which was, it was all right. It's its nowhere near as good as the new stuff, but for its time it was good and it was modular and people could create whatever they wanted with that. Mm. And you, still can do that with the new one so i like the kind of almost lego aspect of it that mm. you give someone the building blocks to create what they want but the instructions yeah. are there to be like oh you just want an l-shaped bit of ruin here you go yeah. um so that's all good i think yeah the cities of death the actual like the old hill one i think is the most dated of the lot um mm. but at least it did give you an interesting playing surface because it wasn't just a flat board. There were little hills. You couldn't really hide behind them or not. Um, I will say uh, the amount of times models won't stay on the hill or the slope and things slide (laughs) down and then fall over, that was incredibly frustrating. So I I, I agree why they got rid of it. Um, If they could have somehow solved it and maybe made the hills a bit more stepped so models can actually stay on them properly. That would be so much better. Mm. I think yeah, the, I, the Forge World one, if I can interject, the Forge World city tiles, which had sort of roads in a different place to the Games Workshop ones, and they had they had effectively like these large bases for where your buildings go. So the buildings are all off the street level; they're like one floor up. Like yes. those were always fantastic because it gave you natural like passages and alleyways yeah just as soon as you put the the tiles down before you've even put the buildings on i loved yeah. the look of that i i said in the last episode i wish i'd got them um, me too even though i don't have the room for them it's the sort of thing i would yeah. just buy and stick up in the loft for that one day when i own a mansion
0: yeah i was funny because i talked to joe about that and he was saying to me that he knew someone who did have them and he said it was like playing on uh six wobbly stools uh but we've had that conversation yes. before <laughs> even on this podcast so yeah it was um it was always interesting because the forge world tiles you know are synonymous with uh with with dodgy molds and I can tell you having own having owned or you know presently owning one of those tiles it was one of the most laborious tasks getting that thing to uh, to work properly um and it's still not one hundred percent right but it's close enough um but anyway yeah so look I mean I think uh you know to your point. Yeah, I probably actually, and it's funny because you just reminded me, Phil, I'd completely uh, erase the memories
1: of uh, the sliding of that. models.
0: Yeah, of the sliding models, which was a real problem with those boards. Yeah. And now something. you're
1: like, go away, Phil.
0: Yeah, the thing, thing is, right, is like, again, there's, there's there's ways that you approach this stuff and there's ways that you look at this stuff. In, in essence, I'm in favor of of verticality within within our board layouts, I'm in favor of that. And one of the things that, um, you know, we'll get to in a moment are some key kind of design features that custom boards always have that I think are sorely lacking in games of 40K. And I do feel like we need to, if we're going to continue the way we are, we need to start indoctrinating ways to, to replicate those even within the relatively limited capacity of uh of, of of very two-dimensional play surfaces which are obviously uh gaming mats so realm of battle had its time uh and understandably as much as it has its pl- uh, its pros one of its biggest cons is cost and another one of its biggest cons is uh you know the the the, the flexibility of it right and at the end of the day if you're organizing an event a tournament a campaign weekend setting up you know 60 tables with realm of battle boards is incredibly tedious incredibly difficult however if all you need to do is rock up and pull out you know 60 mats and roll them out it is easily logistically
1: so much less hassle than don't have to go to the effort of like painting them up Oh, totally. It's it's all pre-made. It's all done for you.
0: But, and this is the conversation really, and I'm not meaning to just kind of hate on mats because I have mats and I've, you know, indoctrinated those into my own play at this point. But I do always feel like when I'm playing with mats that I'm settling for an inferior product that I am ultimately doing it purely because of my desire to replicate tournament situations but I really don't like the two-dimensional nature of the map and I also don't like what I feel like the overarching uh, tournament philosophy is doing to the game and how it is making it feel much more two-dimensional than it ever has before and Even the littlest thing of having a few hills on a round battle board transforms how the game feels to play versus these flat surfaces. But, I mean, where do you stand on the mat situation, Phil? I mean, are you relatively okay with it? I mean, what's your thought? I've
1: played on a bunch of mats. My biggest bugbear about mats, and this is such a petty thing, I hate, absolutely hate the way my dice roll on the mats. They bounce all over the place. But yeah. They don't seem to roll as well. I seem to roll lower than mm. when I'm on a Realm of Battle, nice and clunky, yeah. got a yeah. nice sound to it. I seem to get much better results than when I'm mm. on a mat. Now this is completely subjective. It's just me. When you're on a
0: round of battle board, when mean- I'm
1: on a round the battle board, I roll better. I'm rolling a bit more hot, as they say yeah. in the parlance, uh, than when I'm on a mat that, and it's just all bouncing really nearly all over the place. Yeah. Um, obviously, round the battle is a bit more noisier uh you get that kind of clunky sound but i'm kind of used to it i kind of like it um what i
0: charming part of the game exactly
1: i I kind of always hate flocked realm of battle boards i don't like flocked stuff i think it looks a bit rubbish um fine for warhammer fantasy maybe uh in the old days less so for 40k i think 40k scorched earth sort of you know deserty city vibe is a better look uh overall i mean mats have a practicality to it i think they've become a real popular choice probably not just from tournaments but especially from like youtubers um they're kind of back reps uh but i i get it from their point of view where you know you're doing battle reports every single week you want to vary up the terrain the easiest Mm. way to do that is to buy 10 different mats or even like two or three and you can just roll a different one out and you've instantly got a different world to play on a different setting which makes sense um the other one is like you know mats with scattered terrain and by scattered terrain i mean pebbles and rocks i sort Mm. of get why people do it to make it look a bit more realistic it kind of still looks a bit naff most of the time. You can't yeah. beat a, either a realm of battle board or a custom board where you've got all of that stuff, the stones and rocks, baked into it. But it's mm. just so much more time-consuming to make yourself. You, you've fixed everything in place, so therefore, mm. even though you've got one maybe two by two modular tile, everything mm. that you've maybe added to that is on it, and you can't move it around in the same way that you could do um, with a mat and yeah. um i guess the other thing with mats is, and that's a general thing even with the 40k stuff and the 40k um like printed stuff is when sort of people just ignore what's on the mat so they'll be like here's a building and i'm putting it in a road yeah sort of instantly breaks the immersion of it
0: yeah I, and i totally agree with that and i i find the immersion of mats breaks massively because i find that again mats to me are a product of their environment which is Tournament play and also, uh, you know, battle report channels and things of that nature. And you know, in some instances, they've been used to great effect, right? Like, you know, Striking Scorpion, for example, does a good job of making a nice-looking board. However, mm. compare what he's doing now, where he's doing like mats with scatter stuff, to maybe some of the battle reports he did early on. I remember he did a Apocalypse game where he played uh, on a custom massive like it was like twelve by six foot board, like really incredible apocalypse table where it was tyranids charging down into this imperial, like armored facility. And it was Imperial Guard versus Nids. And you know, there was all this kind of like no man's land where the NIDs were running in from, and then there's this really beautifully made Imperial facility. And I and you look at that and you just go, that is one of the most gorgeous boards that you would just want to play mm-hmm. on versus here is a crater with some pebbles around it here is a thing with some pebbles it's just oh man and again yeah. I, I i think i think the thing is is i understand the practicalities of why they've got to do this i totally get it i'm just saying that should we all resign ourselves to that being our default and should we be happy with that as the norm because to me I don't really ever like the idea of that becoming the norm. I like the norm being people making custom stuff and people having different experiences. And and this really rolls onto the broader conversation around terrain in the general sense, not just the surface of play, but terrain. And I think one of the things that's been so interesting over the last three years is the ITC's efforts to standardise play. So it really happened, as mad as it sounds... It all started, as far as I remember, and again, forgive me if I'm wrong about this, but you can hopefully correct me, Bill. This all started at the LGT 2018. The infamous polystyrene mess. Right, yes. LGT 2018. So for those of you who weren't in the hobby at this time, the LGT was lauded as one of the, you know, premier events of the ITC. Uh, it got heavy amounts of advertising support from the team at Frontline, heavy amounts of advertising and support from the teams of you know different content creators. Even YouTube,
1: Games Workshop, didn't they at the time? They even had
0: the endorsement of Games Workshop, yeah. uh, and it was an absolute disaster. Uh, too many people crammed into one place, and one of the most notorious aspects of it was the quality of the terrain. They basically gave you two big L shapes made of this horrible looking polystyrene material, a little column of, uh, of, of buildings that, again, were using this really ugly, horrible, you know, polystyrene thing and maybe some smaller ruins, right? But they had essentially said, yeah, the terrain isn't great, although they came to say it later. And to be fair, I don't think they ever actually really took that much responsibility. For oh, it. No, I
1: it. Th- I think they did to, to be fair to them. They did sort of, I think it was a few weeks later, come out with like an apology message yeah, where they, they said we sort of over promised and sort of ran out of time or there was logistical yeah. problems and, they and uh, promised to do better the next time. Which they did. Yeah, it was better
0: based on all yeah. evidence. I mean, the LGT of 2019, uh, was a spectacular event according to all the... I, I, I also
1: no. got the impression to give them some defence, not that they necessarily deserve it, that the, uh, the narrative uh, tables for the kind of little um, narrative uh, campaign they were running was really good, because I think they were okay. done by a different team or different people. Um But mm. yeah, specifically the 40k sort of champion tournament was the mm. one where it was a bit of a car crash.
0: Yeah, but irrespective of all of that, one of the overriding sentiments from everyone that was there was, yeah, the terrain wasn't great. However, the principles of what it represented led to some of the best games of 40k I've ever played. So a load of people turned up and basically saw the light. This is how we make 8th edition 40k better. This is how we,
1: Hmm? L-ships
0: l-shapes this is how we make the game of 8th edition less broken because do not misunderstand me 8th edition had a massive issue with shooting armies all the way through and the advent of the massive l-shape ruins massively changed the landscape because all of a sudden your combat army had options Flash forward to ninth edition, Games Workshop obviously taken on board a number of those learnings, and now we're in a situation where their terrain has very specific rules. And what I have seen from the tournament community is a desire to still maintain certain attributes that were in effect around eighth edition. L shapes. L shapes. (laughs) -shapes. The (laughs) things. Well, not just L shapes though. L shapes with line of sight blocking walls, right? And they're all specifically ruins, right? So again, forgive me for generalizing with tournament organizers and ITC players, but everything I have seen from ITC run events and attended—well, I haven't attended any ninth edition events—but any everything I've observed and everything I've been told about is telling me, at least in our local area, and what I'm seeing in other events that are you know photographed or broadcasted around the world, people are still using those big L shapes with line of sight blocking things. And they're all prioritizing ruins because ruins have some very interesting rules mechanics that create this really shifting meta, uh, which is to say that we are now in a situation, and and what triggered me to have this conversation, I suppose, was when we got a question last week from the guy, uh, was it Cantor Blue asking about?
1: Oh, uh, yes. Uh, shooting it. armies, can they do well when the meta is uh, like close combat heavy? Yeah, that was good. Yeah, of exactly.
0: Company. And the statement I made at the time was, yes, because shooting is still good as long as you don't play these very, very specific styles of of, of table that the ITC favor. And I think this is the question, Mark, that I really wanted to kind of discuss with you, Phil, is, where do we feel like, or what do we feel like the solution is in terms of this prevailing attitude? Because ultimately, according, as far as I'm concerned, I think we as a community need to reevaluate our relationship with terrain on a competitive basis. Personally, I always used to love and still always love themed boards. I like turning up to a tournament or any Perfect. gaming scenario and having to factor in the environment in my strategies i like to come to a table and be presented by a challenge and to be able to spot advantages that that table affords me whereas if i already know going into it what the tables are all the time i can start to heavily optimize everything to very specific builds and you can argue that that's a good thing because it means that it standardizes how people approach the game but I personally feel like it's actually not really rewarding the best players. It's just rewarding the best list makers. And I think being good at writing lists is important, but it should not be 100% representative of who the best players are. Um, Noting that obviously you can find yourself in a scenario where your list gives you an advantage in certain terrain setups. So, you know, you can argue that there is a, <laughs> that there is a sort of uh, an error, an element of throwing stones and glass houses here. But my, my point is, is that I just find it interesting what has happened to the nature of the game. And I also find it very weird now that we deal in absolutes uh, in the, in the, in the community discourse around this, this is right. This is how we have to play now. I don't agree but what do you think
1: <laughs> yeah i think that yeah you, you said a lot yeah let me try and process Perfect. it basically yeah. um yeah mirrored terrain i think is bad i i see the logic and i think that was one of the things raised back in um that lgt uh, tournament because they did the exact same setup for for every single m- mission for every game so Everyone had a standardized and in air quotes fair game against your opponent and you know that your game was the same as the persons on the other table. It wasn't sort of roll-off dependent. Um it wasn't deployment uh, type dependent as well. But I think it can just be to buy the numbers when that happens. It's much better to have asymmetric boards give the players a choice. The whole point about having a roll-off to pick the deployment zone should be do you want to try and, for your army, pick the best side of the table? And mm. do you want to, therefore, have a slight disadvantage where you've got to put some models down on the table first? Now, maybe because it isn't the, I'm deploying my whole army, you're not deploying, you're then deploying your whole army, you've lost that balance, and it's like, oh, I'm only going to put one unit down, and I've got tons, mm. and he's not got many. So, actually, me picking my deployment zone and putting a unit down isn't actually a disadvantage, so I'm just going to do that all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, asymmetric uh, uh, missions and uh, deployment zones are always more interesting. I think one of the things we have potentially lost uh, going through the additions is every single, each mission has a fixed deployment zone, which sort of Mm -hmm. makes sense, but I quite like the idea of you're up against an army, it's like, oh, it's orcs, but it's like... Let's roll off and say, "Oh, I've got Donald Wall." Oh no, or "Oh, I've got Hammer and Anvil." Ha ha ha, and that in itself completely changed um the way you play against a particular type of army so every single mission had a different play style based on the deployment zone which mm. also you know you you could never really set up your terrain for a particular advantage because you didn't know what the deployment zone was going to be whereas mm. i think even now so let's say you're not doing a tournament game but you've and this is probably the wrong order y- you would normally set up the terrain and then you maybe roll off for the map and uh, the mission. And I think that's how you're meant to do it. I think a lot of times people might go, what's the mission? And then you go, oh, cool, let's shuffle these uh, bits about. Um, and that's another thing that we not talked about is how you know objective markers interact with uh, terrain, because obviously you're meant to put the objective markers down first um Mm -hmm. and then terrain uh second so now in theory no uh, objective markers should be inside uh buildings or terrain and they Mm -hmm. can't go on sort of uh top floors or anything like that anymore when they used to which Mm -hmm. did hugely uh, give an advantage to armies that could fly for example Mm -hmm. um but it did force people to go up the top or at least consider that in their army it's like cool you've got um what was it like you're doing death wing like you've all got bikes or something or your white scars, you've done a whole bike army. Cool. But all the objectives on my side of the deployment zone, I'm picking up, uh, you know, a floor up and mm. they can reach it and they'd be like, that's not fair. And it's like, but you knew that's part of the rules. And yet you yeah. list- build it in a way, you know, that disadvantage yourself. Mm. That's less of an issue now with how, you know, the vertical, um, Engagement um, range works, so, you know, you could still, if there was an objective on the f- top floor, not that you can, but if, if that was the case, then you could actually just be below it and you'd still be able to score it, so... Yeah. um yeah, I don't know. There's, there's um, a lot to unpack. I think L-shaped ruins are still uh, kind of bad for the game. I think part of that might just be a hangover from people's collections that they've got all that terrain from 8th edition and they don't want to sell it and make new stuff. Um, yeah. I definitely remember playing at um, was it No Retreat, where their stuff was packed with line-of-sight blocking terrain and it was physically line-of-sight blocking which, while beautifully looking, isn't as practical to play on in ninth edition as it was in eighth edition because of the way the train rules work yeah um,
0: for me there has to be a synergy that can enable us as players to reward a variety of armies clear lines of fire clear unaccessible areas for anything other than specific types of units, you know, clear advantages that that certain things are able to exploit. Right. So, for example, there must be a terrain layout where there are big areas where knights can roam freely and there are pressure points applied to your enemy that means they have to come out and play. Right? That has to be doable in conjunction with constrained spaces where knights cannot interact. Equally areas that that, that flyers are able to exploit angles on and, and do other things. I mean, ultimately, when you boil it down, right, there's five things that you got to factor into a game of 40k. Really, really big stuff like knights, medium-sized stuff like tanks. Flyers, infantry, cavalry, and bikes, right? that That's like it, essentially. Now, those different types will have different variables. They might fly, they might, you know, burrow underground, they might do whatever they do. But the point is, is those are your five kind of key archetypes and they, both, they all occupy different footprints. So you need to have a terrain set up that has some natural advantages for everything while also having negatives because that then creates some interesting gameplay nuances because all of a sudden you know you've got some objectives that really only infantry can contend over and then you've got other areas where it becomes like a kill zone because massive scary things lurk about in those spaces and these are the sorts of ebb and flow to gameplay that's really interesting to me you know the other thing that i think we're drastically lacking in 40k boards, and that's depth there are no holes (laughs) in 40k anymore true and that is so bizarre because what is the first thing someone does when they build a custom board what is it come on you know if you were making a custom board what would you prioritize first of all
1: like some height
0: but also probably because i know you've made a custom board you've forgotten yourself what you did
1: like like craters and stuff
0: yeah trench network is what you did oh Oh, yeah for sure yeah You built holes, right? Yes. People, people always. Every time I've ever seen anyone talk about custom boards, they've always got. Oh, we'll get a river running through the middle of it, you know, like a canal or something. Some sort of hole <laughs> the, the, that creates depth, you know. And that to me is maddening. It's like, okay, cool. How come we've not factored in on you know, impassable terrain like holes? Because even something like that would be easy to implement on, on, on your, uh, on your mat scenario. You just need to basically introduce some, some like, you know, some areas where you can just put it over the top that basically creates these, you know, these impassable lines. Cause I think the thing is to me is I think the key to making the game better and making it a more interesting thing is creating more choke points and more, mm. essentially more, 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 um, more areas of you know of denials to stop yeah. people having free roaming a bit. What That's I a
1: liked about experience. like older editions of the game, where you had mm. things like rivers, which mm. were pretty much impassable terrain unless you had a bridge, or yeah. you had, for example, a chimera which had a special rule. It was an amphibious craft and it could go over these rivers. And I think that had that rule even up until like 7th edition, but like Mm. no one ever had rivers or anything similar to make use Mm. of that rule. And it was like, Mm. that was quite a cool, clever little thing that you could use um, just to add a different sort of level of dynamic play. Like I said, choke points, I think sometimes can be really good, but then sometimes they can be really abused and sort of narrow the board down too much potentially. But mm. then armies in 40 K, especially more so than fancy have loads of, you know, fly abilities and ways mm. of getting around it. So it's probably less of an issue in 40 um, K. I can tell you why people don't do holes It's because you can't physically make a hole. Like what you have to do is you have to sit something on top that is raised up at the sides to then have a hole in the middle. So it's like an mm-hmm. artificial thing. So if you if you have a trench network, what it is, is, is a, it's a hill on one side. And then you've yeah. got your, your trench inside this mini hill that still sits up sits on that table. Um, mm. The best sort of version of that is, oh, I'm trying to think what it was called. It was like the Imperial Trench Network, was it? The Games Workshop did? Um yeah. It was a nice little defensive line. Effectively, it was like a trench network. Um, That was the thing that kind of could sit on the board but look like a hole in the ground and act like a a proper trench but still thematically look correct being sat on the table. Um, if you're going to do what I did, which was actually, um, so I used extruded uh, polystyrene and you cut into that and that's mm. like your ground and then you can cut into it by like six inches to create your trench network. It's like, that's fantastic place, that so much work. Um, when I had done that, so I did one uh, two by two um, tile, completely custom yeah. using the forge world or old forge world uh, trench network that they produced. Yeah. Um, Cause I paid an arm and a leg for it by eBay. Um, I basically, I got enough to make out an entire table. I, I did that one tile for armies on parade. And I was like, every year I'm going to spend like a month or two building another tile. And in six mm. years time, I'll have an amazing board. Um, and I just never got around to it. Um, Cause yeah. one, it was a, pain in the ass basically to to build it was no. like a lot of effort but also too i just don't have the table space for an entire table so that was like my lack of motivation to ever mm. carry that on um i still desire one day to finish it off and i'm sure i may well do um mm. well, it was and,
0: interesting that you say that because i remember obviously as well though and and this again is sort of again it's, it's 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 one of the things about these printed mats that i think we're not fully exploring because for example, if you look at games like uh, the Death Watch uh, game that they did with uh, Gene Stiller Colt and Death Watch, do you remember what that was called? Kill Team. Kill team?
1: Sort of thing. Oh, yeah, it was just Kill, team, kill,
0: so was kill team. team. Was it called Kill Team? Anyway, it doesn't matter. You know the game I'm talking about. They did a mini game and it was the series of Death Wing. Uh, Death, Wing? Death Watch Oh, guys. Death
1: Watch Overkill. Death Watch oh, Overkill, yeah, thank
0: yeah. you. And, um, and in that, they give you a full set of tiles. Uh, to play the game on, but there's so much, um, you know, empty space because they've essentially built in like a network of, 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 um, you know, of, of platforms. So there's lots of areas, lots of holes, lots of things that you need to navigate around. And, you know, to me, I just think, well, cool. Why don't we just make like, why don't we just make these, these mats have, a river network going through the middle of it or do something like that. And then just honor it. Just be like, yeah, that is there. I, and I, then
1: I think a lot of printed maps do, but um, I, th- I would assume a lot of people don't go for those ones because they are maybe restrictive. Um, yeah. I think if you're a more narrative player, you do, maybe you're doing crusade or you're a bit more of a casual gamer or not essay too fussed about tournament sort of style. Maybe you would go for those. um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, even mats, they're, they're cheap, they're cheaper, but they're still not cheap. So, most yeah. people will probably have they're only about mat. 40 50 quid, aren't they? Yeah, but I mean,
0: I mean, it's not to suggest that that's cheap, but I mean, it's not 200 quid for a mate. No, exactly. but,
1: but what I mean is, most people will probably buy one and be like, I, yeah. I've, I've got my one, mat, I don't need another uh, one. It's probably very and, uh, few people that are going to go, I'm going to buy two or three.
0: Yeah. And I understand that. I'm just saying that it's one of those things that is just interesting to me, because as soon as you actually factor in that into the design of a table, you can immediately start to make things more interesting. You can immediately start to think about different ways of approaching it. And it just creates a whole different gaming experience. And I do think it's the key to unlocking better, more interesting games, because because. Again, if you just think about level design in video games, you know, the, the the delight of those things is the restrictions and the choke points and the and the and the tactical decisions that you have to make as a player to tackle your environment. And the same is true or used to be true in Games of 40k. You know, it's fantastic when you're playing a game where there is a clear tactical advantage to controlling a point on the board. It's like I need to have this bit under control. Because I need to own that bridge, and all of a sudden it becomes a completely different style of game. And I, again, right, I'm. It's. I understand it's going to be impossible for this to get rolled out as something that could be massively available. But I, I'm just throwing it out there to get people to think about it and just think about what this means for them and their own gaming experiences and what it could represent as a challenge. Uh, because ultimately, my my major concern with 40k these days is we may as well just be playing on flat surfaces because we are essentially and that you know because so few people even massively exploit the benefits of the verticality of ruins and i hardly ever see ruins go especially high it's always just it's always just a series of flat surfaces everything that happens in modern day 40k happens you know, on the two dimensional plane that is the mat, as it were. Yeah,
1: I think there's a few reasons for that. Well, and predominantly that's not the fault of the rules, but it is the mm. rules now which dictate why you don't really want to be on top of a ruin. I think one of them is the is always on the ground floor. The other one is that the height of the floors are now much higher. It's like five Mm. inches high. So your entire movement is effectively taken up just traveling for one floor. So mm-hmm. that really discourages people putting models on like one floor up or even two floors up, because it will take them an entire turn just to get down. Whereas before in the old um cities of death, it was like three inches. So it was like not as much of your movement. So you could be up on a floor in your turn, you could be up like, great. I can I can jump down, I can move three inches, I can then, you know, advance to go a bit further. So I'm I'm not really hampering myself by going up there. Whereas I think now people are like if I put those models on there, I'm putting them on there because they're going to stay on there. And Mm -hmm. the game is so mobile, it's so focused on going out, getting objectives. Um, It really discourages that kind of play. In verticality, so interesting. It looks so great. Um, There used to be some even cool rules. So in the 8th edition rulebook, in the kind of uh, narrative games, there was a special rule. It was like, if you were... Like one floor up, and you were shooting down at something. You had an advantage, so you got plus one to hit. Now, Madden, are we all talking about? Guilty? No, no. This is this is actual 40k Eighth Edition. Really? Those those, those fluffy narrative campaign section not even campaign like oh, okay. those narrative rules that we never really even looked at um mm, totally. even ever never played it was it was one of the core cool rules in like the sort of city fights um if you're like high up on a building shooting something down lower than you got plus one to hit super cool i'm a bit like why isn't this a stratagem like that's a really nice narrative thing that everyone could have access to it encourages you to stick stuff up um on a building that is also an easy target to hit back at the same time. That's always the downside of putting stuff up there, which is why I think people don't do it anymore because it's sort of, you know, y- your heavy weapon teams are too squishy for the current state of the game. That it really, Most people don't like to play them or your devastated mm. squads and stuff like that. You know, I think some armies have exceptions, but that's all sort of why. And it ultimately it does create this thing of, you'll have all this amazing terrain, but no one will be on it. They'd much rather be behind it because then they're getting the benefit of the obscuring rule, which is the other reason why I think people don't like to be on these, these terrain pieces. i've Mm -hmm. I've watched a few battle reports recently online and knowing we were talking about this episode i was factoring that in there was an amazing um tabletop tactics love their their stuff the last battle report they put up it was like this amazing terrain there's there's um um sort of not quite mountains but like cliff faces with the tectonic drill um terrain piece on the side Mm -hmm. you've got all these um um, Adeptus Mechanicus, um, Mechanicum, um, you know, the refineries and stuff yeah. pretty yeah. much. I'm pretty sure this is correct. Every single unit never went on a single piece of terrain. They all yeah. are behind it. They're all what on was the that, ground floor their
0: battle report between Ultramarines and Death Guard, yes. right?
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: yeah. I, I watched that one as well. And again, same thing, like again, really nice looking stuff. They got a load of battlefield in the box stuff. They got a load of 40 uh, K stuff. Look gorgeous. But again, never really saw them interact with it or it become a factor now, it's very I, weird i
1: don't know if that was just a weird coincidence about that one particular battle report we both watched or if that is just the general prevailing wind of most games of 40k now where you use ruins to hide behind not be in or on because there's yeah. less of an advantage to that nowadays um yeah.
0: can I, can i can i just say as well and sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but I hate the ruins rules. I think ruins need to go. I think they are the worst part of the 40k terrain rules. And here's here's why. There is no negatives associated with ruins at all. In so much as I can exist in it, I can pass through it, I can shoot out of it. I get a save when I'm in it. I get obscured when I'm behind it. It's just a series of overwhelming positives. And I think there needs to be I think there needs to be offs. I think we need a situation where terrain is positioned in such a way as it is a wall and you can't walk through it. And I think that is an important thing that we need to start incorporating into our rule set.
1: Yeah, I think I mentioned it on a podcast before, or maybe we were just casually chatting. Is I, I like the idea that not all ruins are breachable. I like mm. the idea that some units have the breachable rule them baked into them, and that everyone else effectively has to spend an action making it breachable. So if you're a regular infantry squad, your action is... I'm doing breaching. So, you know, at the end of my turn, I can finally finish off my movement or something to go through it. But I basically have not shot in exchange Mm -hmm. to pass through it. Things like gene stealers, yeah, they can go through any cracks willy-nilly in a ruin. So they automatically can just pass through ruins. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, things like uh, harlequins um, with their flip belts, they can do it too. So certain units should have that ability. But I think just giving it wholesale to every single unit is problematic. But then I do remember playing lots of games of 6th and 7th edition where that was the case and you had to go through the door and it- No, no, 6th and 7th have
0: still had the same ridiculous uh, ambiguity around a ruin. Ru- ruins have been these ridiculous rule sets for years. And, and again, I don't mind it, but I think the problem is it's come to a real tilting point in so much as, especially with the prevalence of them in competitive play, because now here's the thing, right? This is a legitimate thing that you got to think about if you're playing Ultramarines. I want to run Roberta Gilliman. He is the primer. He's the best character. Cool. But he's bad in competitive play. And the reason he's bad in the competitive setting is he doesn't have the infantry keyword. And as soon as you don't have something with the infantry keyword, it doesn't interact with ruins. And if it doesn't interact with ruins, it's not competitive. That is
1: madness. Yeah. (laughs) I I think there's a few issues there. So one, I think if, if you, you didn't have the ability to just pass through walls. It really does slow the game down. Like even with the vehicles, it's like cool. I literally got to spend an entire turn or two just going around this one building. Like I'm not going anywhere. It does mean you can't really get very far in the game. But where the other complication comes in, though, and this is where the other thing drives me mental
0: about the ITC rulings is, is okay, cool you have decided to use ruins and you've decided because it speeds up gameplay, but then you've also introduced the arbitrary scenario or set up the terrain specifically. So is the, the, the outer walls of this ruin, you cannot see through because you've blocked them off. And that's where it goes. Like, if you can't draw line of sight for it, you shouldn't be able to walk through
1: it. Yeah, I, I think that. Yeah, I, I get that. So if there's got if there's doors or there's windows, then you could go as uh, breachable. I mean, even even back in, I think it was six and seven edition. They specifically said in the codex like. They they have grenades and they have breaching charges, like they burst through they you know, they make a small hole. It's like the infantry should have that ability, which I kinda of get. Yeah, fine. Um but yeah, I think yeah. I think the, the specific thing you're talking about where what you have is ruins that aren't standard Games Workshop ones where which have lots of holes in and that is what the current set of obscuring ruins rules are all tailored for. So when you're behind it, um, you can't be seen through it, but once you're inside it, there's tons of windows everywhere. So you can be seen, you can shoot out, you can be shot at, which is the important thing. Um, But if you've got this custom terrain um, that is, as you say, is just a solid block of wall, it massively advantages um, close combat units. You can sort of be hiding in there, can't be seen. You can't shoot out, but you don't want to shoot out or you don't care about shooting out because next turn, you're moving out and you're charging, and that's all you really care about. So, yeah, I think the magic box, um, it's not quite the magic box, which was a thing in ITC where you basically had... Uh, four walls, uh, ruined. Um, so once you were in it, you couldn't be seen, you couldn't be shot at, and, but there would always be an objective in there. So it would really fade, or there'd be an objective nearby. So your unit could hide in there. The only way to shift that unit off was to send another yeah. infantry unit in there into close combat. So it really had shifted the meta favoring kind of close combat, uh, units. To be able to
0: throw things off It just creates this It's a having your cake and eating it too scenario And it annoys me because it's that thing where it's like Look I do not believe this because here's the thing The general prevailing consensus Is Close combat durable close combat armies Are the best now because of the way That we have tilted The terrain conversation and that's My frustration it's like look This is madness like we need to reach a better consensus because unfortunately with the reduction in board sizes, and we didn't even get around to talking about that yet, but I mean, that's another thing that irks me so much is six by four is a fantastic size to play games on 44 inches by 60 inches may not sound like a massive reduction. It changes everything. Cause again, massively favors very specific armies, custodians, Custodies, sorry, not custodians, custodies, you know, very specific types of space marine. It's going to do the Death Guard a world of good in a moment. It's it's just, uh, it's just, this is my thing. Please can we reach a point where we agree that if you're going, you can't have everything your own way. It's like, please come on. Like, if you want a situation where I can't see you, then you're not allowed to just fly through that wall. Because going back to my Gilliman point, the reason why you see most competitive ultramarines lists or at least most that have ever existed running Marnius Kalgar rather than Gilliman is because he's got the infantry keyword. Therefore he just moves through walls and stuff. And that's so important to the way competitive armies are built now. And I just think it's laughable. I love your idea, Phil. I love the idea of certain types of units can have breachable that to me. Perfect. That solves so much of the problem. The problem is, 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 it's going to be a long time before they introduce that, and also there's not really an attitude from the competitive scene to do that because we've we the competitive scene have accepted that this now is how you play the game. You hang out, not doing every anything for a couple of turns, being this looming combat threat, and then you just run out and then bog people down. And I just look at that stuff. I, I remember the first time I experienced that in a competitive game of 8th edition with those terrain setups, and I went, "Oh, is." is this what competitive 40k really is? I mean, this was like early on in me getting into competitive play. And I was like, I'm not sure I like this. I'm not sure I could keep playing this like this. This isn't fun for me.
1: Yeah. So another aspect that you've sort of hinted at or talked about a little bit is the prevalence of ruins um, being pretty much the only terrain feature on board. And I think that, is a negative effect on tables. And if you look at the new... Is it Battlefield in a Boxes? The Games Workshop ones that they do? Uh,
0: the uh, I think they're not called Battlefield. Battlefield in a Boxes specifically. Uh, oh, they are called Battlefields, yeah. No, they're called Battlefields. Uh, the,
1: the, the new Games Workshop ones is there are some ruins, but the majority of the terrain that you get in those kits is um, like the pipelines. pipelines. The pipelines, which are, if I'm not mistaken, they're obstacles, is that right? Or... <laughs> Or barricades, barricades, yeah, um, and and they have their own rules to them, and it's like, but you very rarely see them on the tabletop as much. I think, I think it's just historically everyone's gone ruins, woods, craters, ever free things that are kind of important. Um, whereas now, if- but I, and I, but I think things like you know obstacles uh, and sort of these smaller scatter terrains, you know, crates are always good just because they're line of sight blocking. I think. Um, yeah, Um you, you need a bit more of a mixed bag of terrain to make your tables more interesting so you're not just using the obscuring rule because of things of ruin, for example. And I think that, again, shifts the weight more in a balanced favour of both mixed combat shooting armies. Um, if you just have ruins, I think it becomes a bit of a boring game, with the exception of if you're doing a specific theme, where you are like this is a ruined city lots of ruins mm. but even the odd one ruined wall here and there is classed as a barricade it's not um, like a ruin per se with obscurity yeah. words so you can still theme your army you've themed your theme your board sorry uh, around a, a particular thing like you know a city which i think is how yeah. most people play 40k um yeah. But still using the whole suite of uh, rules. And again, the keywords that are applied to terrain is only really a recommendation. I think everyone has gone, this is the standard and this is what we're going to do. But in, you know, and in tournament play, I'm sure that will be the case. But you know, if you're playing yeah. at home, you can, you know, call whatever you want, whatever r- rules that you want. So you can kind of go, this ruin actually, rather than it being obscuring is dense. So it's minus one. And I kind of like the idea that there's lots of, Minus one, um, you know, terrain dotted around more so than the obscuring stuff. Um, because I, I found the obscuring stuff, it's, it's interesting, but I, I think early doors, and I mean, even now I've still not played a whole amount of, um, games of knife. Uh, the first few games I found like, cool, I've got my, I've got my contemptor dreadnought hiding behind this building. So you shouldn't be able to shoot at me. That would be great. But then in your turn, you just moved slightly to the left and you're like, cool, I can see your toe. So because of the rules, even though 90% of my model is actually still behind the ruin, but because you can draw line of sight to like from your base to my base from a part, it's like, cool, I can just now shoot you. And you're like, oh, God, it's actually quite hard to hide sort of units sometimes behind these things. So it sort of feels like, and this was a very early reaction to those rules, as it doesn't seem to do what it should do. And I think maybe that's just you know I, I, even now I still need to get into it. But I think I think the fact that they haven't really uh, FAQed the terrain rules, I think most people will generally say the terrain rules are really great and they're really happy with them. And I think most people are.
0: I, I agree. I think the I think the terrain rules are in a way good i think there's things i again i prefer i prefer aspects of the old rules for them but i don't like all aspects of it like i'm so happy that we don't have to roll 2d6 and take the highest when moving through anything now like that was mental (laughs) when it used to have to be like oh difficult terrain test oh god um but yeah i mean you know the fact that that's gone is no bad thing and i think there are some net positives to it i think again though it's just those things where really like games workshop are very craftily Written a rule set that really favors their own stuff, which is fine. So it's made the yeah. third party ranges a bit ridiculous. But also, so much of the ITC stuff, so much of the tournament scene is using third party stuff. And so much of these guys are favoring lots of ruins, lots of whatever. And that to me just
1: is. Well, I think uh, that I just... is, um it's almost down to the kind of terrain that third party people produce. It's like ruins is something easy. You can make it out of MDF super easy. Um yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. I've seen some amazing stuff in MDF, but you wouldn't normally get a bunch of woods made of MDF. Or if you do, it probably doesn't look that good. Um, So (laughs) I I think that's why most people go for like ruins or buildings of some kind because they're they're flat, easy to build constructs from a manufacturing point of view.
0: There are some incredible MDF kits out there for incredible things other than just ruins. It's just the thing is is that, yeah, for whatever reason, it's just become the prevailing uh, thing. And, And that's the thing, with those giant L shapes that people love, just make them walls. Like even if just those became impassable walls, like that would change things and that would make things better. Um, admittedly, you'd still end up in situations where things with the fly keyword had a key advantage, but the fly keyword doesn't let you go over a wall when you're charging. It does when you're moving, but not when you're charging. And again, that would at least create a bit of a risk reward to some of this stuff. Cause I just think, I think the issue is at the moment is, is that, Games Workshop have actually done a really good job of making this game difficult to break, but then the competitive community have gone, ah, yes, but what if we completely control the environment? Then only these things race to the top. So they've kind of themselves organically, or not organically, they've purposely created this meta. And then Games Workshop are trying to balance things to these metas. And there are people out there who are seeing assault units have their points increased going, these are terrible. I don't understand why you made it more expensive for me to take them because... Because when I'm playing with my mates and we're playing on a normal board, I'm getting shot off in turn one. And now you're telling me I've got to spend 35 points for this model. It's like, what? <laughs> you know? But anyway, because that is, again, one of the interesting dynamics that we have as a community is we have a system that is being made to tailor to competitive requirements. Uh, but ultimately not everyone is playing to those same requirements. And again, it's, it's just interesting. Man. It's just interesting. But Phil, what did our community have to say on the topic? We put out on the old social medias that uh, we were going to discuss this. And you got a few responses, right, Phil? You got people saying, hey, why don't you talk about this? So uh, how's about we hear from those guys and maybe try and uh, answer some of their questions, eh?
1: Here we go. We've got Ethical Ice Cream. Uh, ethical oh, Ice Cream? Sorry, Ethical Ice Cream Truck. Um, oh, okay. over on the, well, the Instagram. like... Using like an electric uh, ice fan. Maybe. Or it's all vegan ice cream or something. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. He says, uh, Hi, really enjoying the weekly shows. As a new player from 8th Edition, I would like GW uh, to give more guidance on terrain use. A full battlefield box would be a good start. The the fold-out boards are quite good, and then basic scenery and rules. If they treat the board as a third army, encourage people to collect it as such, then it would be a better game. I also think that once every army has a terrain piece, then they might be free points uh, to use um, x amount. Um, love the jingles and hardly miss that other guy. <laughs> um, so a, a See, few... I you feel? The jingles are top quality, right? Really? Um So a few interesting points. One of them is talking about collecting train as a third um, uh, army or as like an extra the third per, per third player almost, uh, which is yeah. correct. One thing we haven't talked about because it sort of skipped us all by was the specific like almost like a tournament pack tournament terrain rules where you um buy and allocate a certain amount of you know one half of the terrain you bring your opponent brings the other half you both throw it down and what sort of the interesting element from that is pretty much every piece of terrain had a data sheet Mm -hmm. um but but none of us got it because we weren't that interested in that. It was clearly a style of gameplay that we're not really going to do. So I sort of feel like we're missing out. And that kind of is actually might have solved some of the issues that we feel, uh, you know, if you talk about ITC and it all being, you know, um, symmetrical um, tables, not that it is every game, but, you know, if that was a format, the Games Workshop terrain format um, tournament setting is completely different where you bring your own terrain. It's all themes to your army for example
0: mm. yeah I, again i had my issues with the uh with the way gw rolled out that particular terrain pack because i think ultimately it just became logistically very strange and also the rules that we have seen for those uh terrain features are very very strong and i think there were a number of uh inherent issues with Uh, The way that GW had worked out that terrain point system, uh, because these uh, terrain features had very clear benefits for very specific army styles. And again, really entered into a scenario where it made gameplay even more unbalanced. And I think that is very counterproductive, really, to the long term. Uh, viability of the game. I I agree. Terrain and boards are a very important factor, but I don't think we should really ever enter into a scenario where they become a uh, you know a, a part of your army list building process because then it just gets a little bit too uh, gamey and a little bit too uh, obvious how it's going to go. I mean, obviously it gets really weird because there are armies and 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 um, ethical ice cream man. Ice cream van uh, touched upon this. It does become interesting because obviously armies have very specific terrain features, and probably one of the most egregious uh, terrain pieces is the Adeptus Sororitas, the Sisters of Battle uh, statue, because oh, that. Comes- I thought
1: you were going to talk about the Death Guard tree.
0: Well, again, I don't know what's happening to the Death Guard tree at the time of recording. We've not received our copy of uh, the Death Guard Codex, so we don't know what that's uh, what that's I looking like. Although, at this
1: although, so I, I did notice yesterday when I was browsing the terrain um, the terrain tab on the Warhammer uh, website, the Games Workshop website, um, that they still sell that tree as part of the forty k uh, setting. Mm now if you know that doesn't necessarily mean it's still going to be in that uh codex you know i'd assume yeah. it wouldn't mm.
0: well i mean I, i'm guessing it would still be in there because it was a prevalent part of the army prior to uh uh to the changes
1: but um let's we'll not talk yeah. about the gorgon there. yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah leave it well, leave I, keep well that, I keep dropping that one in everything yeah,
0: every it's all got to come back to the gorgon isn't it but um yeah my point is is that like there are certain terrain pieces that come with very obvious value uh most notably the sisters of battle because that massive ruin that uh, comes with the statue is insanely beneficial the idea that you can literally just turn up to a game and go cool here is a massive ruin that means that you can't shoot a third of my army turn one is insanely powerful quite
1: highly pointed though
0: not absurdly. I mean, again, I can't remember the exact pointing of it at this precise moment in time, uh, but it, it's not insane for what it is. Um, and there were other terrain pieces that were particularly good and strong in the history of 40K. You had your obviously the the, the Nurgle tree, as we've kind of talked about Um there were some interesting rules for uh the uh tau terrain the uh, tide walls and yep. those kind of things they 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 enjoyed a certain level of uh of of play at certain points because they were quite interesting um but broadly speaking like a lot of the terrain features that you can buy for your armies haven't really seen Aggressive amounts of play since early sixth and and,
1: and Seven. mid seventh. Yeah, those they those seem like the glory days where they kind of came out with uh, it was a special supplement, wasn't it? Initially, it
0: um, in the rule essentially. Yeah, it was uh, the Agus defense line, uh, the uh, Imperial Bastion,
1: uh, the, uh, the, uh, the the two turrets, the bunkers. Um, mm. Yeah, there was a whole swathe of them. I think it initially came out. Maybe it was sixth edition. There was uh, it had the Imperial Fist guy on it. It was like a. Was it was. Is it fortifications? I can't remember what it was called, but it was. Oh, a, it, uh, I think it was a standalone supplement, and then in uh, seventh edition, it was in the rule book. If I'm not too mistaken, or well, well, I could be.
0: No, you know, I think you're absolutely right. There was a book released uh, with a series of extra fortifications in it. You are 100%. Yeah, um,
1: but I think, I think a, it, it saw a lot of play, but some of them were egregiously broken in terms of, like, the landing, Sky Shield landing pad, a lovely mm-hmm. kind of piece of terrain. But when you can put a vehicle on it um, and start your tank on on there, and then, not even a flyer. I think initially you could put vehicles on there. Which oh, yeah, makes no sense. And then you would be like, oh, the skyshield landing pad is up. I get a four up four or a five up in one save. Ha ha. Um, it was a like, four oh. up in save, yeah. Yeah, pre- pretty mad. Uh, n- not very thematic when you've got vehicles on there that then either, I think at one point you could place them up there, but then they can move off, uh, maybe. There was all sorts of weird stuff, like for a vehicle or having it. Sorry, for having a flyer on there, it sort of makes sense. Like turn one, mm. have a flyer on there. Turn two, it's like taking off and it's on the table. Um, or even on turn one, it's taken off, and it meant you could get your flyer on there before having to come in from reserves, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, which back in those days you had a roll for, so it wouldn't be a guaranteed turn two, for example. Um, mm. So, there were some like cool stuff. I remember every guard player had an Aegis defense line at one point, and every pretty guy much guy. you would take it in every single game. It's like I even had a check before we did this um that you can still so the rules still exist um for all of these things um in the 2019 chapter approved so it's still all valid but i think they just over costed it to the point when no one's ever taking it unless you're maybe doing a narrative game or you're going to tie it in and even then like most of the time you whenever i've played at a tournament or event and there's a bastion on the table no one except maybe one person i can think of would be like oh yeah that's a bastion most people would be like oh it's just like you know impossible train. you can't go in it or anything like that i think one or two people when it was in their deployment zone would be like oh yeah i can totally put some scouts on here and i can now shoot the, the gun up the top or what have you but most people mm. wouldn't do that um so. yeah
0: i i find like again it was there was an interesting time where uh towards the end of seventh edition i was uh really heavily uh exploring the opportunity of rolling out a, a fortification army uh so oh, uh, I this. yeah yeah i was so invested in the idea of doing a gene stealer fortification army because i was like Jean to would work so well with fortifications at the end of seventh but just as i started getting to work on it they announced eighth and i was like oh, okay fair enough i'll scratch uh, I'll, I'll scrap that but um Yeah, I mean, that was an interesting aspect of the 7th and 6th edition rule set was there was a real prevalence of of those types of things. And even early 8th edition, there was an early, uh, you know, series of things going on in 8th edition where people really favoured some of the really mad older style building so there was this like plasma cannon
1: array thing oh the plasma obliterator yeah i've still got the original version of that in its box mint condition um which i think was uh yeah everyone complained how difficult it was to build though
0: oh yeah well uh, our our buddy sean put one together and he said it was an absolute nightmare Mm. but the point is is that yeah like there was a time where people were running that with dark reaper spam so it was literally just loads of dark reapers inside one of them, just shooting out of it, and it was like, "Wow, this is this Mad. is crazy."
1: I remember. But, do you um, remember when back in seventh, when the void shield generator came out, and it literally sold out, and it, they never made it. I think they then remade it later on, but I think the original it, one was yeah. like resin, um, and then the second one that they produced was then in plastic or something like that. And um, but yeah, it, it had such good rules. Everyone was like, "I'm getting getting this."
0: yeah everyone everyone had one now they're one of the mo- they're like overstocked everywhere because no one really wants them anymore but um but yeah i just think that's that thing though right it's like again it was an interesting series of rules and it is still an interesting series of rules but again it has been pushed further down people's priorities because ultimately uh, the way it works it just uh, certainly in like more competitive minded gaming It's just there was no real easy way to roll out. I mean, one of the things that was really good about them back in the day was because you couldn't guarantee what terrain was going to be like anyway. It was nice to have some baked-in options because the Aegis defence line – so, like, me and Richie, uh, for the longest time, were debating adding an Aegis defence line to our doubles army list, the the Blue Meanies, because one of the hilarious advantages of uh, uh, defence lines were that you got – you got two plus cover saves behind them. So if you went to ground behind, if you went to ground behind a Aegis defense line, you got a, a two plus cover save. And when you're Zench demons, you got to re-roll your one. So you would have a two up in basically invulnerable save that you could re-roll. And we were like, that's genius. We need to be doing that. Um, but yeah, outside of that, I mean like, yeah, we, I mean, and, and the thing is even the interactions that, that terrain added, the fact that you technically brought it to the table, but it didn't belong to you was genius it was like here is the Aegis defense line it's got a gun while you control it it's yours but there used to be all these hilarious moments where you could seize control of your opponent's weapons so like you could you could basically overrun their Aegis defense line and then turn their quad gun around on them and it was just absolute genius yeah so,
1: didn't you do that with some zinch flamers that have a two up skill yes. Which is yes. Mad.
0: Yeah. Well, well, we discovered at the time so they were ballista skill five, which in 6th edition at the time meant that they hit on twos. Uh, and yeah, we just did a really jammy uh, deep strike where we managed to roll a hit, and then we flamed all these, we flamed all of these uh, guardsmen off of this defense line, and then just took it over. And then, we, and then the hilarious thing was, is they had a Valkyrie that had to come on in their turn two, and it came to end oh, and then we shot it down with. <laughs> <laughs> with, Ooh, wow. these, uh, with these uh with these flavors it was like wow this game's great and those mm-hmm. are the sorts of mad mm-hmm. things that these sorts of things introduce and some of these weird interactions that just get have just been sort of sterilized out of the game really it's like nothing fun like that ever happens anymore
1: mm. no, i think the, the closest thing i know of um in sort of more modern stuff not necessarily 40k because this is age of sigma so the new mm-hmm. uh seraphon temple is absolutely mm. massive, and in the latest white dwarf or maybe the second to last uh latest white dwarf, they're sort of talking about the the rules mechanic behind it and sort of explaining why your enemy can embark into it because it's a bit like mm. a bunker. They basically said it's too big to put on in your deployment zone it gives you too much of an advantage but also in some matchups you just can't physically fit it in your deployment zone so it needs mm-hmm. to be able to go somewhere randomly in the mid table so to then make it interesting they said rather than it just being something that you can go into and get an advantage um make a bit more of a challenge uh, your opponent can also do that as well um but you still get some inherent advantages of only you can use its powers once you've got a wizard yeah. um embarked on it so that was an interesting thing that i'm you know i wonder if they trickle those sorts of things down into some of the 40k stuff pretty much all the new uh, faction specific stuff is you know you can't really go into anything like the hammerful bunker isn't really a bunker it's like a mm. sort of mobile or immobile turret um mm uh if they do a guard one i would love to see sort of the old dawn of war style bunkers that you could put Mm. squads into that would be really cool um
0: what was interesting about the dawn of war stuff was that you had the underground trench network so you could move between locations as well which was quite cool so like even if they introduced stuff like that because even that was represented in the old terrain rules because you used to be able to have hatches so you used to have escape hatches yeah. yeah yeah That was a really common strategy for uh, for um, uh, for some competitive armies that they would have um, uh, centurions in a bunker and they just have them appear. So, grav centurions would come out of a bunker via the escape hatch and just be like, "Hey, <laughs> have all these grav cannons," uh, which was obviously the height of fun. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, I think you know, in in response to the, uh, our man, the uh, the him, uh, hey, Chuck thank you thank you yes the ethical ice cream truck um yeah i think look i think that system of uh, of 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 making it into a third army that you actually have to assign points to and things i think that's fine i think that's a perfectly viable solution i just think it has logistical challenges that i'm not overly thrilled about but in terms of uh, army specific terrain pieces i think that is something that hopefully gw continue to do more of and support more and sure. hopefully we end situation where it makes sense i mean you know the thing is is like they obviously introduced that new marine terrain piece which is that ridiculously massive gun
1: bunker yeah
0: um and you know the general consensus is it's a bit rubbish Um,
1: yes i think necrons have got a thing as well which is okay the new death guard one rumors are that it's pretty good depending on what you think is good so some people are saying it's rubbish other people are saying it's good i i really i think there's a general consistent theme for the last year or two where they're trying to do faction specific terrain i don't think it will be free anymore because they did that originally in of sigma and i believe it's now gone to points um so i i assume they won't do that for i mean it's sort of bonkers that because everyone would just take it and that would obviously sell kits but they need to balance it and i think at the moment they may be being a bit conservative on some of either the the rules or the points so for example like the imperial knight one where it's like if you don't shoot for a turn you can shoot at maximum number of shots in your second turn but everyone says that if my statistical average is actually more if i just shoot normally so it's not very good um unless of course you you roll like a pleb or something i don't know Um, anyway uh, his his last point I'd like to point on he talks about um, the fold out boards being quite good I do like the new games workshop style of boards that is sort of in line with the kill team stuff Um, I believe they're pretty much cross compatible because they're all the same sizes I think that's nice they're double sided which I think is also really interesting Um, again a bonus from um, your normal kind of foam and mats which has just got one one design on
0: yeah, I don't inherently hate the uh, card um, solutions uh, over the the mats. I, I think they both have the same pros and they both have the same cons. Um, For sure. So yeah, that the one is as good as the other. Um, I still don't think they're as good as custom jobs, but ultimately they serve a purpose and they're a great place to start.
1: Right? For sure. Place um I'll, I'll read out a couple more um we've got a uh, cantor blue again he said not created uh yet but uh, one of my hobby resolutions this year is to create a gaming table with fully painted terrain uh, which will be an epic undertaking and that's followed up by the frozen ferule um he replies to him and says me and a buddy made a table uh late last year um so i'm fully on board with you getting scenery uh for a full board uh so very positive uh aspects there i think is a is a good ambition to do it especially like with you and your friends um and one of the issues we were talking about earlier is like i think what happens is one person in the gaming group or friendship group is always nominated to be you have the table and the scenery you do all the work and we come around to your house and, and play it um no like, i know uh, it. yes yes <laughs> so someone yeah. like like you maybe um yeah. and then also the other option is like you go to a gaming club where they sort of have got it all um yeah uh no, not-
0: no, it's it's a definitely it's a good uh hobby goal and one of the things is about terrain as well though is as mad as it sounds you can get a lot of really quick wins with terrain which really helps with hobby fatigue because uh, you know it's very terrain there's a lot of quick ways of doing it i mean i've been watching youtube videos of people making massive terrain projects and you know obviously you get phil's account of things re- uh, over the course of this section where he said it took him months to build you know a two by two bit i've been watching people who smash out in a day a six by four table you know Isn't so that, it can
1: happen um, yeah for sure i think there's lots of uh, quick wins uh, nice easy techniques uh, so for example especially on like ruins or the sector mechanicus uh, mechanicum yeah. stuff uh, obviously lots of dry brushing washes um oil weathering is really nice chipping Mm. the chipping weathering technique is fantastic so you use either chipping fluid or um hairbrush sorry not hairbrush hairspray so you paint your undercoat down you spray some hairbrush on top you then paint or spray another color on top which is your kind of final base coat and then um use a brush and some water and you let that seep into the paint and then you can start sort of scrubbing away and it peels back that top layer to remove um to reveal the um color underneath so what you do is your base base coat is like a kind of tends to be a rusty color and then your top coat is your kind of final painted Uh, color scheme so it might be like cream for example or red and then basically what you get is this nice kind of chipped brown rust color coming through underneath and it's um because it's quite organic um it looks really good and that's like a nice easy easy win technique there you go uh we've also got um oh a slightly different one, not necessarily to do at all with um uh terrain, but I'll read it out. Anyway, uh Fat Flash Blog says uh really impressed with the new format. Uh I like some rambling, but setting a limit is a great idea. Keep it up.
0: <laughs> Come on, Phil. I mean I admit that is obviously lovely to hear and we uh we appreciate that uh that comment and the positivity within it, but uh Come on, we've got to have some uh, we gotta have some actual questions related to the terrain topic, right? We do,
1: we do. Um on our actual uh, lookouts, uh, 40k Instagram, uh, we've got uh um oh uh, uh, old Toke, fan of a show, folk folkstorm on Instagram. Um he basically said he made a, a hut from an old lotion pot uh, oh, back nice. in the day. So, you know, a bit of hobby. He
0: doesn't like the lotion, does old toke? I know,
1: yes, a bit of does. Um, Quicksauce was right. It says, I miss terrain walls like they had for the Minutorum container, um, which, if you remember um, when it first came out, they had the uh, storm bolters on top that they you did, could, yeah. you went up next to them, you could control them and shoot the uh, storm bolters
0: yes that is correct
1: yeah. I, I, I could swear some some piece of terrain had a like an orbital strike but i can't for the life of me think which one totally. or if you could control it you could cool down a strike
0: so so many uh, weapon placements back in the day uh were uh usable by controlling players so like early on in like sixth edition it was funny i was watching this video uh on a channel that used to be called Beast of War, now is called On the Tabletop, and they used to get this uh, regular content where these two uh, lads from Northern Ireland uh, would do like competitive talk about competitive builds in sick Edition. And they actually went so far as to say, "Is like, oh yeah, well, you know, we've just discovered a bit of fluff in this, a bit of a uh, bit of an exploit in this book, which is that you could, uh, you know, set up hunter killer missiles as terrain features, and not hunter killer missiles. Sorry." Um, uh what those giant missiles on uh on tanks
1: Oh, death strike missiles yeah
0: you can get death strike missiles set them up as gun placements on the board and then use them in the game so it's like saying like somehow craftily you could uh, turn up to a table and plant these uh these- it's like features on i was like this is ridiculous like no one's gonna go in for Magnet. that but that, that does find...
1: remind me that like forge world did back in the day have some like um like missile silos and they had um right. they had basically lehman russ uh turrets as uh fixed emplacements which I believe is sort of based on some world war stuff where they basically just dug in tanks into the ground and just had the turret poking up um and sort of embedded them into the ground. Um so yeah, they're really old cool pieces of uh, terrain.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I mean I, I that's the thing. It's 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 cool stuff. But but the problem is is people don't like that stuff in more controlled gameplay scenarios because it's because it's a bit ugly, because it's not streamlined or, or, or standardized. Yeah. But again, normal, fun, playing with your mates, highly encourage you to incorporate some interactive elements into the board design. I mean, again, this is another little rule from the older editions, right? Do you remember mysterious terrain, Phil?
1: I was just about to mention this and I was yeah. going to say, I kind of hated it. Like, um, like oh, or, or, or I'm thinking more of mysterious objectives where you oh, go up dude. to an objective and you'd roll some dice and it's like, Oh, I haven't got the cool one. I've got yeah. the one that's doing wounds to me every turn. Cool. And yes. um, the yeah, problem mystery- with that, those is it's always so difficult to remember what you'd assigned to each thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was ridiculous. There was one that gave you Skyfire, wasn't there? Was
1: yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I bet you won't remember this because uh, no one ever had them. Do you remember the? it wasn't Catachan? It was Elder um, Jungle Terrain that they released. Yeah, yeah. The Death World stuff. And the original rules of some of them were that it could they could move towards you and then do wounds and attack you. Um it, it, yeah, sort of mad but It was just that was probably the ugliest terrain they've ever done. Oh, it's like right. I, I got it as a concept; but it just didn't look very good.
0: Well, I think the problem was
1: they obviously
0: set out to try and create something a bit truly alien, and it just became too alien. It was like that. It, that, it, it's, it just didn't look right. It I, I, I
1: also right. think it was a, a bad sales pitch because they were like, "Oh, it's Eldari, we've got some elder ruins here." Everyone was like, "Whatever." If you had yeah. said that was catch and jungle terrain dozens of people probably would have bought it despite it looking rubbish.
0: I think the weird thing is with it as well, right? And again, I don't want to speak ill of the work that anyone in the design team is doing at GW because, you know, I think, well, not where it's not entirely warranted anyway, but I think one of the interesting things about all of that is the fact that it used to feel five years ago at least that the guys working on these terrain kits were nowhere near as skilled at sculpting is the guys doing the miniatures so that's where things like the the death world terrain came along or where things like that big generator came along where it was just this absurd skull in circles
1: uh, yeah i've seen some cool like the hot fix for that one is to take the yeah. big minotaurum on container and yeah. turn that on its side and wedge it between the two and then it looks okay actually but yeah, yeah A lot of the scenery terrain is just bedecked in skulls because that is the 40k trope. And even, yeah, the old um, Cities of Death stuff just had that everywhere, and it's a bit gaudy and a bit much in places. Giant skulls, too much. I quite like the weird um, spider skull thing that hangs down from um, one of the Sector Mechanicum pieces. But again, a bit mad
0: yeah even that was probably a bit too much for me but i do i do take on board the point i think there was there was some there were some okay bits but overall it was always a bit yeah anyway
1: no. there you go any more, Phil? Oh, or that... we, we've got a few more we can go through. Um, go on, we'll, do, we'll do a couple more. JPWH40K uh, says MDF or plastic terrain. Uh, MDF all the way for me. Um, if you're going to spend uh, that amount on plastic terrain, uh, I would rather spend on models. Um, P.S. Expanding foam is everybody's friend, which is a, as I said before, great for sort of bases, hills, terrain, the yeah. LGT star quality, uh, sort of terrain as well that's where that all came from um but yeah i personally i'm not a fan of mdf stuff because it just for the most part it looks very flat even when it is sort of laser cut and layered it still just looks like it's layers of layers of flat stuff stacked on top of each other so it never really looks nice because you haven't got as much curvature or shape to stuff
0: yeah i think the thing is right it's like it's interesting because to me the, there seems to be a, a, a wide consensus that MDF terrain is infinitely cheaper than, than plastic terrain. And in a lot of instances, that isn't true, but it is true when it's compared to Games Workshop's terrain. Mm. Now, Games Workshop's terrain kits are insanely expensive versus... So well-made.
1: expensive.
0: So when you factor in... um. The uh, the the other options in the market. I mean, Battlefield in a box. I've I've really gone to town on, and that is essentially resin kits um, that are all prepackaged and and, and painted and the rest of it. And I was genuinely surprised at how little it cost to do a board in uh, Battlefield in a box. Like I literally covered my six by four board in terrain for probably not much more than a couple of hundred quid. Which okay. It's not an insignificant sum of money, but I would have assumed it would have cost me the same to do it in MDF terrain. And it would have been much more of a pain in the bum to make that MDF terrain. And if I tried to do that in Games Workshop terrain, which spoilers I have, it cost infinitely more. Like the Games Workshop terrain is so expensive and also horrible to build long term because there's so. The new kits are so detailed. Yeah, it takes a long to build them.
1: Live- you got to. I, well, I remember coming around to your house and we literally spent the day and it was like clipping stuff off sprues, cleaning up mold lines, and yeah. that was all we did. And we 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 did a big dent in a small pile. Well, we did a, a small dent in a big pile, um, yeah. and there was so much more to do. And that didn't even include building it. Even though I think you may be building it, and I was doing all the sprue stuff um, oh, we, or, or painting it and the- stuff.
0: I mean I've built an absurd amount of that terrain and I look at it and just god the 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 time versus result process on that is just not equitable <laughs> it's very difficult to be uh to be uh
1: positive about that overall
0: but anyway there you go it is what it is any more, Phil?
1: Yeah, let's do uh, the last uh, one. We we actually I'll do two because one of them is just a a, a nice little review. Um, Adamaeus Collins uh, says, "Looking forward to listening to this one. Will help get through the twelve hour shift at work." Um, well, I hope so it has at least Thank three hours of it. Will be uh, be this. Um,
0: Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe we'll
1: see how we get on. And then old Archon John has has a t- returned to leave another comment. Um, he said do different themed tables have more or less um um more or less types of terrain in the new night edition rules for example jungle tables have more dense therefore minus 1 to hit terrain
0: I mean the short answer is yes but that obviously depends on how heavily themed things are um if you're going to go for a heavy jungle table and you're really going to embrace that and you're going to actually develop something that's really you know on theme then that inevitably is going to be the case. Uh, That you know, minus one to hit is going to be way more prevalent. Um, Again, you know, obviously for most gaming purposes, you want a mixture. One of the things that's really important to me as well, and one of the things I think is important to a lot of people, uh, is the ability to place miniatures as well. And this is something that we haven't had a chance really to talk about. But I think on the topic of, like, jungle terrain, it's important. uh, Because one of the other pitfalls of... Uh, you know, custom boards is is you can go too far in the other direction and then the playability of your board becomes very compromised. Uh, And that is something that you really want to deal with as well. You don't want to be in a situation where you are creating boards that it's really difficult to position models or to actually draw a line of sights or to even interact with it. And I think that is one of the things that's always really interested with these overly themed boards, Like, when you see boards where they've stacked them really, really, really high, uh, you can start to run into a lot of technical issues during gameplay. Um, But yeah, look, I mean, obviously, specific boards have specific things. Uh, We're not in the AOS situation where certain realms defer certain attributes. So one of the key mechanics of Age of Sigmar 2 has been the idea that uh, you're fighting in the realm of fire, and as a result, all of these rules are attributed to the realm that you're playing in. Uh, that isn't so much the case here but yeah obviously you yeah. get
1: that in uh, campaign stuff so um i believe it was the last psychic awakening book there were specific rules for playing in different areas there's some um cool rules in white dwarf which i hope we will talk about one episode um they are oh my god what are they called flashpoints so it's mm-hmm. over a series of articles over several uh, issues set in a specific uh kind of uh, sector uh, with a bunch of special rules, custom missions, and also, again, like you said, custom sort of um, you're playing in X type of um, uh, planets. Uh, You can get a bunch of extra rules sort of layered on top of your game, which I think is very nice and thematic, good for your fun-friendly games. Um, Obviously not for tournaments, obviously, but I I think for an average person, it does just add a nice layer of uh, depth to, to your game, to give it a bit more narrative uh, flavour to it. Um, yeah. And to talk on John's point, I think the other thing is yes, if you were to out of the box go, okay, everything's jungles, it's all minus one. And on one hand, that could be a great game, actually. But if you didn't want that, you could just give certain different bits of jungle, different keywords. So this bit is um, obscuring because it's super dense, so you can't shoot through it. But then this other stuff is just, you know, got the dense keyword. So I think even if everything was very similar and samey, you could still customize it via that keyword mechanic, which I think is very strong for coming up with your own stuff.
0: No, agreed. Agreed. Interesting stuff there, Phil. A good topic pile accounts. Much said. I mean, look, in the general sense, I think the fact that we have so much choice is really great, but I really want and hope that if you take anything away from this segment is that I implore everyone to try and actually take advantage of those choices and to actually start to think about the services that you're playing on and how you're playing the game and how terrain can impact gameplay. And I think that is so important because I think up till now, I think we've resigned ourselves to certain norms and I think, this is a good time for us to evaluate what it is that we want out of the hobby and how it is that we want these these games to be played and i think you know at the end of the day i'm not expecting everyone to go away and build their own custom boards and go crazy i don't think that's realistic but again just try different things and try out different types of terrain and you know and even just you know if you're initially feeling it out with friends trying to see what different types of terrain brings you know get a sheet of a4 paper cut it out and write forest on it and slap it down on your board and you know see if it actually changes things for you and you know try things that are different because actually you might find that it creates a lot of very interesting gameplay results which maybe you're not experiencing because of certain rigid parameters that you're setting for yourself or you're someone who is already doing all of this and you've just enjoyed us agreeing with you which is obviously also great uh because you know i think i think I, I I just feel like, and again, it might be indicative of the fact that I've just been exposed to way too much tournament stuff the last couple of years, but I feel like something has been taken away from the game with these new attitudes to terrain because here's the thing, Phil two, three years ago, I didn't care about terrain nearly as, as much as I do today. Uh, cause terrain was just a given that it was this thing and it was functional and it worked, but it also, was interesting and it added all these other strategic layers. Now that they've kind of taken it away from me and turned it into what they've turned it into, it's just become a, a bugbear, I suppose, if nothing else. But
1: yeah, yeah, I think it was weird. In seventh edition, there wasn't—I can't think of much terrain complaints other than maybe some of the faction-specific stuff that you could take was too cheap or too good. Um, mm. But no one really went, "Oh no, the rules for woods or ruins." were broken. They all seemed pretty adequate. Um, I mean, I don't think even then tournament players, I mean, ITC at that point, it was, it's completely its own thing. So they may well have house ruled certain things, but I, I, you know, I didn't go to their events in those days, so I can comment. Um, I think it was the fact that the absence of terrain rules in eighth edition is what kind of was so glaringly obvious, that now it feels like it's been brought back into tonight. edition. It's a bit more of a hot topic, and mm. um and they've gone in a particular direction. I think it's one of those things where, because we still haven't played a whole amount of games in this edition, it's still going to take a bit of getting used to. I, and mm. I think, like you said, it, you do need a balance. You need a nice board of uh terrain, You don't want too much Dale. You want a nice bit of Cheddar in there as well. So you don't want too much in the way of ruins, but you do need some. Um, You want to be able to create nice, interesting boards. I think, you know, because I've been collecting terrain predominantly for my kill team, so I'm looking at it in a much more smaller scale. Um, Hmm. Even then, I'd love to expand it out to 40k sort of size, like normal, normal size. I think verticality is a really fun thing to add into it, even if... You're not necessarily going to use it all the time, but I think it should be there. I think, you know, a good amount of things like crates, I think are a great one because they do, block line of sight for some things they do give a cover save for other things and um, mm. you can stack them uh, my, my favorite thing that i've done in my pretty much every kill team board that i do um because obviously i don't want to put my ruins on the roads so i have mm. you know two buildings opposite a road and then what i tend to do is dump a container on the road so actually people can just cross using the container as like a bridge um mm which is a nice little mechanic f- from getting like objective A to objective B and mm. um, stuff like that. So I, I, even if I was doing 40K, I would still sort of build those kind of levels up and have more of a focus on some upper level stuff. Um, mm. Yeah, I think partly though that that's the reason why people don't use it. It's just the limitations of the rules now because objectives are always on the ground floor. People just avoid the upper floors. Um, yeah. yeah, so maybe I just need to change from the rules and it's... Yeah.
0: We need to start going down. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the trick. Adding down is an option is uh, is uh, is a thing. But who knows? I mean again, obviously you need specific types of setups for that. Uh, interestingly, during the course of this conversation, I just started thinking because I got loads of zone mortalis stuff, I started thinking I could start to build like an interesting kind of like trench network type thing where I make a zone mortalis board, but it's essentially a case of they're like these little kind of like uh, you know, like trench networks below, yeah. and then oh, battlefield oh, above. I, the... I've
1: seen some people do really cool zone mortalis boards where it's like a forty k board for like three quarters, and then one quarter is a zone mortalis board to represent like a bunker or um, inside a building. And it, again, it gives you that interesting strategic elements of cool. The vehicles can be outside fighting, but the infantry have to go into this particular section. Mm. to fight over something that's here uh yeah. there's some other cool boards that i've seen where a bit like what we were saying before with rivers but instead of rivers it's like void combat or you're mm. up in the sky so you've got these giant um kind of floating platforms whether they're meant to be out in space or they're up in the sky like your elysians for example um, yeah yeah I'd like uh, and, then, and then what you do is you've got the infantry fighting in those areas, you've got um flying transport zipping around between the platforms, but mm. it blocks off whole areas of the game because unless you're a flyer, you just can't physically um, go into the sky or into space um, mm. in those areas. And those look fantastic when you see them um Built. obviously they are kind of much more custom jobs but you could actually do that with a mat you get like a sort of x-wing or some kind of aeronautica style mat to represent the sky and then actually your even if you, you're just using the, mecha- the sector Mechanicum stuff to represent your platforms like your oil rigs or something like the there's a fantastic kill team oil rig from warhammer world it was a mm-hmm. complete it was like a sort of um two by two board but then it went up like a metre and a half in the air. It just was completely vertical. Um, yeah. Woefully impractical to play on, I'm sure, but I was oh, like, that, that would be the dream to have something like that. Cause that would be um, pretty cool. I thought.
0: No, I totally agree with you, mate. I think that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, and in a way kill team was so much of a system where games workshop showed off their creative clout when it came to what they were doing with the boards at Warhammer world for those. I mean, those are just some of the most, incredible setups that they've created for that and that's one of the great things about kill team and ultimately you have to you have to forge a you you know you have to you have to create a balance right you can't just have everything being like kill team boards because the kill team boards are understand that there are certain very strict parameters i.e only really infantry interact Mm. with this uh, and that is the thing with forty k is you have to factor in all this other stuff. Yeah. But anyway, I think it's interesting.
1: There's um, I, I don't know if you ever played on it. You might have done some kill team on it, but there's like a kind of turquoise mining um table at Warhammer World. It's like platforms everywhere, loads of rocks. It is properly multi level. It's properly really incredible. I think we've done some kill team there, but we I played play. Richard. And we did an actual forty k game on it. I think it was maybe only like a thousand points. It was all infantry. Um, we tweaked the rules slightly because I had a couple of cyclopses and we just allowed it to go up and down the ladders, for example, yeah. um, just to make sense from a practical point of view. He had a hell drake buzzing around, which my <laughs> grenadiers managed to just melt her in the face as he charged at it, which was hilarious. Um, so, yeah, that was like severely limiting the types of units you could take but really thematic, uh, so much fun to play on. I liked the sort of, cool, there's an objective up here and I've got to run men down gantries and up ladders to get there. And yeah, it took me three or four turns to get there, but it was sort of worth it in the end. And those kind of takeaways are really great. And another thing to say just in general is playing on tables that are nicely set up nicely painted with a painted Mm. army is just so much more immersive like the best photographs of my army and the best games i've ever played have always been up at warhammer world just because the terrain there's always been fantastic. fantastic
0: incredible yeah we've we've had some great games in that environment and it's been fantastic and that's that's what you want that's the that's the best way to play gold
1: standard for sure
0: Yeah, absolutely. And not everyone can do that all the time. And I understand everything that we've said has had, you know, there are practical applications of everything, but it's interesting. I'm just, all I'm basically getting at is I think from a competitive standpoint, we need to reevaluate how we're approaching the game and terrain. And in a general gaming sense, I think, you know, we should aspire to more than just mats and ruins. That's all, you know, Sure, and that's it. There you go, guys. That was us talking about terrain, boards, the impact on the game, answering your questions. We hope you enjoyed it. We certainly did. We're going to move on now to whatever it is that comes next, which I know what that is. It's the end of the show. So let's get on with that transitional noise. Woo! And that's it, everyone. The end of the 69th episode of the Warhammer 40,000 podcast. no. <laughs> He, he, he. Um, I really enjoyed that chat, Phil. I thought it was fun.
1: It's good. It's nice to have a chat about something that isn't specific to a new release, like codexes. Um, you know, just a bit of a. sort of a bit of a general hobby chat. Mm. Um, I sort of feel that with the releases going fortnightly for the next few uh, months that this might be a good little thing like one week we we'll do a codex or something and the other yeah. week do something hobby related.
0: Exactly. Although the, the complication there is, mate, is we've got to think about things to talk about every week. I mean at least when we were just following the release schedule it was like well they put it out. Oh yeah cool we can just talk about that. And I think that is the challenge that we're going to face with this weekly stuff is uh, how gonna, do we actually keep it interesting going forwards if we run out
1: of topics i guess well i mean we can we can open it up to the old listeners um if they got some interesting ideas i think we've still got we've got a good few in in our bag oh, yeah, under our hat.
0: still but i'm just saying it's like one of those things so i mean next episode is going to be all about death guard right because we're going to get tim on and we're going to talk about the death guard army i assume because yeah. that's this um so we'll we'll do that justice and we'll do a good Death Guard segment. So that's pretty cool. And then we can uh, and obviously this weekend when this goes out, there the previews. Weekend, yeah. Are you expecting to see anything in particular there, Phil? What's your your dream scenario?
1: Oh, gee, I've not really thought about it too much. Obviously, a few things have like come out already, which is all AOS based.
0: Is that what it is? Do you want so, more Horus Marines? Obviously.
1: Uh, well, I do want the heavy intercessors to come out. I mean, no They're rush. They-
0: they just don't actually exist in reality. I'm talking about like new stuff on the horizon.
1: Uh well obviously it is forty K. I don't think it'll be Marines, obviously. Um well, actually no, Black Black Templars is the one that's been banded around at the moment. So Black Templars hey. stuff. Yeah, Black Templar stuff would be cool if it is. Are
0: they um, talking about Primaris Black
1: Templars still? Apparently. Um we'll see. we we'll are seeing. Um that's mostly the old down to keys banging that drum. Is he? Could you
0: imagine, right? Because, like, what that basically is is like, could you imagine them going to town, going, here is brand spanking new actual thematic Primara stuff? And we just thought, ah, whatever, we'll start with Black Templars. Like, come on,
1: really? Well, they've done, um, like, the Crusade stuff, you know, the Indomitus stuff is very Yeah, but it's not. You saying, like, oh, like, um, like dark angels haven't got any of their stuff although dark angels is due to come so we might see some dark angels i I think i think black templars is one of the few ones where it's like their look is much more different than Mm. and right like blood angels for the most part they are just space marines that are red like there's the odd units whereas i think for um black templars it's like every model is meant to look a specific way they're meant to have like their guns are meant to be chained to their hands to represent the sort of the eternal crusade that they're on quite literally um and that they're always meant to be fighting so um,
0: valrick's banging that drum is he
1: about yeah, yeah i I've, I've seen him go on about it a few times um if okay. it is if it's black tempers i think it'd be amazing they were one of the three chapters that i picked would you, would you do them phil though
0: if, if they turn around do they go here you go phil Obviously not teams specifically, but if this weekend they go, here
1: you go, mate. I here. would be like amazing. I will get round to this in like a year's or two time and I will pick them up then, but not until my minor tools are done first. That's how I'm looking at it. Yeah. Um th- there's loads of rumors about the new game system that they've t- previewed with the logo. Um loads of people going Batfleet Gothic, more time. Um epic um one option
0: under a rock mate i've not heard anything about this what's
1: this did you, did you not see the preview so when they talk about the preview <laughs> they, they showed all the game systems that they're previewing so you've got um age of sigma you got 40k you got kill team uh, warhammer underworlds and adeptus titanicus were all the known game systems and then there's this random um blank logo where it's like some big news is uh, coming. Um, so lots of speculation as to what that would be. Um, I mean, it could be anything. I mean, one option is it's a 40 gig, but, uh, Well, no, no, because so this is a new system, not one that already exists. Um, so, yeah, things like aeronautica, blood bowl, necromunda aren't in this preview. Um, But obviously Adeptus Titanicus is, so they are doing some specialist game stuff. It's not Mm. just all Games Workshop box games division. I suspect it will more likely be a Games Workshop box game division. My theory is because when they have been bringing out new specialist game stuff, it's always been announced around sort of October, November time because it's for for the Christmas release. Mm. So I don't think it's anything like Battlefleet Gothic. If it's going to be then looking at the sort of standard Games Workshop boxed game um, guys, it might be something like um, Hero Quest. So Mm. it could be shifting back from Blackstone Fortress to uh, Age of Sigma to do a different one of. They already did. uh,
0: um, Isn't there a Hero Quest being done by like Mattel or something?
1: Oh, that's the. Actual physical uh, game, yeah, because the Games Workshop don't have the rights for it, even though they did a lot of the legwork for it. I think gotcha, it's, gotcha. Um, yeah, I can't remember. I think it's Hasbro doing it now, but they didn't. They weren't the company that originally did it.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, because it was MB before. Wasn't yes, it? MB.
1: I th- I don't know if that was UK specific or M- MB did no. it everywhere. But um, that yeah, the, they good. did the original Hero Quest in conjunction with Games Workshop. I don't think they Games Workshop owns the rights to it, though. Um, uh, gotcha which is why Hasbro in America did that release a few months ago and then it went international, I believe. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. so yeah, it could be a, yeah, it could be a sort of hero type game, um, could be 40 K underworlds. So cool. kind of competitive, small teams, um, on a on a board hex board for example that to me seems like a bit of a no-brainer uh, because of the popularity of the uh, underworlds and its kind of debt building mechanic we so
0: um, bring back that terrible asia sigma tcg that they did a couple of years ago what was that called again Asia sigma champion <laughs> yeah i thought it was
1: champion something rather or just yeah. champions yeah
0: i caved in and i bought the uh, the founder
1: edition one, yeah, I remember. I
0: was just like, oh, you know, like because I'm obviously like, you know, you follow these things for years and you see how massively popular some TCGs become, and you think, Hey, ah, Sigma's doing all right. And credit where credit's due to the guys who were pushing it back in the day, I mean, they were everywhere. I saw them at Comic Cons and they were up at EGX, which is the Eurogamer Expo thing, and you know, they were everywhere pushing this thing. So I was just like, Well, they're obviously taking it really seriously. so. Why not? For the sake of whatever that founders edition cost me. Mm. I literally opened a single thing in it, except I've just literally lifted the lid off it and gone. Okay. That's a thing.
1: And now it's value has gone down in half. Oh, of course it has. Of course it has.
0: So if anyone actually wants to give me a good reason to send them a founders edition of uh, that of Sigmar game, uh, obviously a very good reason would be its original retail value. But, um, you know, uh, I, uh, yeah, I gladly get rid of it because it's doing nothing in my home. But, anyway. cool. but, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it'd be interesting. Whatever system they introduce, I mean, again, obviously, Gothic would be an incredible thing to bring back for the community. Personally, I couldn't care less. Like, if they bring Gothic back, I'll be like, yeah, I don't care. Because, like, to me, the Gothic system just never really hit it off. Like, the guys at, um, oh, what was it called, Drop Fleet, uh, that was Supposedly, a really amazing, you know, fleet based spaceship game mm. uh, from the guys at Hawk War Games or whatever they were called, the guys who created Dropship Commander before. Um, and Dropship Commander was a really, really great game back in like the early 2010s, 2013, 2014 time because they'd done a really good job of creating a really interesting system. Um, and in a lot of ways I had hoped Adeptus Mechanicus would have borrowed from them and, and made Adeptus Mechanicus, or not Mechanicus, or Adeptus Titanicus, more like that. Mm. Um But um yeah, I don't know. I mean obviously it's gonna go the way of like I mean, at the end of the day, if you look at their hit list in specialist games over the last over the last four years, they have thrown so many Age of Sigmar ideas at the wall it strikes me that it would be sensible for them to start to unveil
1: another 40K system.
0: That being said, could it just be Warhammer Old
1: Worlds? Should be. I mean, that feels like it's a few years away still from what they initially said. So it'd be a bit odd to do a reveal for it here because they've kind of already revealed it. So this to me seems like this is going to be this year's big release potentially because obviously the game system kind of like is working on like a three-year cycle so there's always one year where you get something like apocalypse because yeah. there's no big release um last year we had 40k did we have age of sigma 2 the year before
0: uh, that was like was uh,
1: apocalypse the... year
0: uh so yeah so 2019 was the apocalypse year for eighth edition age of sigma 2 was 2018 and uh yeah, last year was uh, yeah. Last year was obviously forty k um, uh, ninth edition, and and obviously in twenty nineteen, don't forget that they also had Space Marines, which were obviously massive. They they really went to town and wrote those incredibly broken rules that are still plaguing us today. That hopefully they'll get rid of over time, but not yet. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if if you did something from the 40K universe, it makes sense that it would be gothic. I mean, it's such a low-hanging opportunity for them. But I
1: don't know. I just wouldn't,
0: I just wouldn't care. If it was gothic, I'd just be like, cool, whatever.
1: But it, it's, Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I think it's one of those games where I think I had some minis as a kid and maybe I don't think I ever played it, though. I always liked it, like the idea of it. And now it, I wouldn't get into it. I wouldn't buy it. I actually, I was a big Man of War fan. Actually, had, mm-hmm. had that one. Um, I, I, I would happily play it if someone was like, "Cool, I've got the I've got, I've got the box game. Do you want to have a game?" I'd be like, "Yeah, cool, totally down for that." Um, but I wouldn't sort of invest money into it because it's like I, I've already done that with Titanicus and Necromunda, and I still haven't played them. Um, and, I, and, I'd, and I'd much rather sort of get into those games more oh, okay. than uh, the Gothic. Mean- a
0: system that they could re-explore and, and, and rejuvenate, interestingly, could be something like the Space Hulk or Space Crusade systems. I mean, something mm-hmm. like that could be quite interesting. Um, again, where they get the most success and where they get the most longevity is where they've got kits that are transferable between systems, right? As long as... Because that's the sensible play, right? As much as um, Chaos Warbands was not a successful game, so much of it was taken and chucked into Age of Sigmar. Okay, fair enough. There are diehard warband fans who will tell me that it's one of the best systems that GW's ever created and so on and so forth. Irrespective of that.
1: Oh, sorry, you, you mean You mean Warcry? Warcry. sorry. Yes, yeah. yeah, sorry. Yeah.
0: Irrespective of that, it, it clearly hasn't moved the needle massively because they've pretty much given up on it at this point. I mean, I feel like that has kind of
1: gone away now. Um, well, that, they literally just released a brand new box set game of it like a few months ago. So okay, I don't well, think that's okay, quite okay. But I, I think it is one of those things where most people would be like, oh, I don't see it anywhere. So it must be rubbish, but there will be thriving communities of it. Same with Blood Bowl. It's like you don't see it necessarily, but people play yeah. it, people play it object to satanicus um I, I imagine it is nowhere near as popular as kill team even though kill team hasn't been that well supported over the last year or so yeah. obviously i think they're going to talk about the new kill team um game because they you know, they mentioned the kill teams in there so there's going to be a new version of that still sporting the old logo which features the old warhammer logo inside it um so it'd be interesting to see if they're just going to keep that game as it is and they're not they going to, like, update it in any way to, like, ninth edition. Um, I don't think there's that much that really needs to be changed. No,
0: I totally um, agree. With you. I think it's great as it is, and I think they should just leave that well alone. I think that's a that's an easy win for them. Um, just continue to support it and and make it relevant. Um, yeah, I don't know. Be inter- it will be interesting to see what do, um, I guess at the point that a lot of people will be listening to this they'll know about it True. Uh, The topics of the dead and the divine have obviously started to make a lot more sense though as well because obviously we saw today that they've leaked out uh, the uh, the vampire countess uh, for Age of Sigmar which definitely uh, has a, a dead vibe to her, right?
1: Well exactly um, and I say this as someone who's literally just you know, two months ago finished making an um, undead female vampire in plate armor yes. um in almost a similar pose um I, i'm kind of glad mine's come out first and I, and I did it if this had come out i probably would have bought it just out of laziness um, of course but i'm so glad that there are tiny bats because i wanted tiny bats around my one and mm. The old bats that you can get on uh, in AOS and fancy like the old models are really crap and they're giant bats. They're all right.
0: Yes, I do they're like they're like big flies, aren't yeah, they?
1: Yeah, basically. And I, I was looking everywhere, looking at third-party bats because I like the idea of. Maybe like equipping her with a shield, but not giving her a shield. So, having something to either represent that or just to add in some extra motion into the model. So, bats was what I was looking for. So, I'm going to probably buy one or two of her and stick them on and see if it works. Um, The shield's also really cool. So, I might nab that as well. There's a lot of
0: really good qualities to that miniature, it has to be said. So I suppose the question then comes is what's the divine aspect of it? Obviously we saw as well, some other age of Sigma stuff, some but
1: one F, um, kangaroos and horses of some kind, I believe they've. Yeah, yeah. now.
0: But it's interesting to imagine if the divine could mean something for the 40 K side of well, things.
1: So, not quite in hat theory time, but the, so the, some of the previews have been for some Adeptus Mechanica no, Adeptus Ministorum priests. They have mm. a particular like um, backpack design which you mm. can see on uh, some of the new models. So the uh, on Priest from Blackstone Fortress and the mm. one that's having his brain sucked out by uh, Luminor <laughs> Cesarez, they have that same thing. And that was one of the things previewed. So yeah. what we might get is uh, people have been saying like an Inquisitor game or, um, yeah, some kind of small Small skirmish game. Now, if my theory of a 40k underworld is true, that would be a, you know, I, it's not necessarily a game I'd want to buy, but as you mm. say, people will just buy it for the models. If they do faction specific teams, like in the same way that they've been doing for Age of Sigma, where it's like, here's five to 10 new models for every single faction over the next year that are really cool, characterful, kind of standalone units. They, they get 40k rules it's like sort of blackstone fortress but in a much more bite-sized scale
0: yeah, though, that would
1: surely sell like hotcakes
0: it also can't be a mistake that the adeptus sororitas the sisters of battle are being sold alongside the Drakari in their um trakari box set right
1: what in some kind of thematic way you mean or
0: i mean in terms of a release schedule way like normally 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 like if you look at the series of dual kits that they've done, typically there there is a dual release in there somewhere, right? So when they go, okay, cool, here is our here is our uh, box set, and it's Space Wolves and Orcs. There's some Space Wolf stuff and some Orc stuff. When there was um, when there was uh, the um, uh, Forge uh, Bane or whatever it was called, yeah, Neuro- Forge
1: Bane was Necrons and Adeptus Mechanicus. What
0: happened? Necrons came out
1: let's yeah, sh- shift all of those necron models one year or two years before the new necron range uh, comes out
0: that necron book came out around the t- well that necron book that box set came out around the time the necron book dropped so it was there was a synergy there which is obviously
1: no no forge bane is pretty old like it
0: yeah yeah, yeah but necrons is pretty old like necron ne- the necron book in 40k came out in like 2018
1: time around the time of forge bane Oh sorry you're not talking about the ninth edition one you're talking no, no, about, uh,
0: no, no, no. I'm talking about when they released the Mechanicus set and the uh, set.
1: Okay right I get you I'm
0: saying that typically the way it's worked is is they've gone here's a box set with two things in it here's the rules for two things
1: Ah so you're thinking um Sisters uh ninth edition codex and Drakari ninth edition codexes on the way I mean that would sort I of make sense
0: who knows, right? Because the sisters' book is really new, so it wouldn't make sense in a lot of ways to revisit them because, they're, sure. I mean, they've just had an entire range refresh. So, But then funnily enough, though, right, if you look at every time that GW's done a range refresh or done a big release for stuff, you look at the Drakari when they released those in the 2010 period, 20, uh, 2009, whenever it was, and then you look at, um I don't know, Gene Steeler Cult, they always had lots of like dribs and drabs of extras.
1: Well, just look at the Luminef. Like that was a brand new faction that came out last year, and already they've gone. Here's new units for it, and it's yeah. like so your codex from last year is already out of date. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if you know potentially it's not a uh, kill team style game uh, for Underworld, but potentially the Ministorum stuff is just models for the Sisters, and you, they're getting a couple more models and units there are a couple of ranges of um you know hq choices um crusaders that are still in like resin that need to be updated so maybe there is a bit of a backlog of we'll give you some more models or some brand new units potentially
0: yeah and again i'm gripping at straws at this point in time like i have no idea what whether that means because again i think again if you look at like ghost walker or whatever it was which was craft world and space marines there was nothing in there that i think got released outside of oh maybe the spirits here model wasn't it? i can't remember now there 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 are maybe examples in the histories of it but if you look at like i don't know the the corn demon and uh Slanash demon kit they both got new stuff right they like they got new sculpts for the corn stuff, new uh, demon kits for the Slanesh, and then obviously Slanesh got a big release. And I don't think the corn guys got a big release at the time, but mm. irrespective, it's like, you know, typically, typically, certainly in the early days of a game system. But it'd be interesting, man. I mean, I'd be really interested to see. I mean, because that's the thing that's really exciting right now, is what are they doing next? And what are they gonna actually massively update? You know, your point about the Templars sounds really interesting, but I swear to God. I really don't want them to do that <laughs> so, you next. Know, time. it's like man like if it is that great fine whatever let's get out of the way and move on but
1: uh. I'd I be surprised if it was anything other than like a primaris character and like an up upgrade pack. I don't think it would be if it, if it was I can't imagine it being unique units and this cuz the thing with um, well, look, the different. thing with Black Templars is they've got the whole issue of you've got your standard Marine, your tactical squad is really Marines plus Neophytes, which are scouts. And that yeah. doesn't translate at all into Primaris. So it'd be interesting to see if they could take that concept and update it to Primaris units somehow and mm. what they would do with that as a unit. Well,
0: let's be honest, they're not going to... Wow, well, I mean, if they do, that'd be crazy. Could you imagine that they went okay there you go primaris scouts just for that would
1: no i d- i don't mean? think they would do that i think i think yeah, it would be more likely a character and an upgrade pack yeah because i think this time last not even this time last year um when the space Mean codex 2.0 came out and everyone got their supplements everyone was crying out for uh, Black Templars as getting some love and they didn't get anything. So, you know, a year's time, is that enough for them to go, here's a sculpt or two that we can give you?
0: Do you think they promorify any of the existing characters or do you think they'll give us a new character?
1: Uh, Well, mm, they do like to go... You can keep that old sculpt. Here's another character who sort of looks like he should be a primas version of an old character, but he's got a different name. So, yeah, they could go. It's not Grimaldus. It's not Helbrecht. It's Jim Bob, the new guy from... Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> it could be that, but I'd like it if it was an old character, if it was... Say again.
0: They bring back the old uh, Imperial Fist Sigismund, the first Templar. <sighs>
1: They could do. Do you, you, know what, do you know what I would want? I want um not even grimaldus I want his Cenobite servitors. I want 40k servitors in the new scale. There needs to be more of them. I haven't done servitors yet for in plastic. That's what I want. Little I want acolytes, I want scribes, I want all the menials. Yep. I want faction imperial adeptus menialis. Um, and they are the guys carrying your books and your ammo lots of cherubs lots of Survey skulls flying around, honestly, yeah. that is what I want more than anything out of a 40k range. And their army
0: wide rules is they're just writing everything down while they're getting murdered, so it's like they're not bringing anything to the table, they're just there. Just no, exactly.
1: Honestly, I would just uh, my plan is to get some and make them. Uh, I was going to do it with my Black Templars when I was planning to do Black Templars, but I'll still do it with my Minotaurs and it's be like, cool, these are just my wound counters for every unit and character that I've got. Um, well, I mean.
0: They go down the 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 black template route i mean that'll be i just Oh god i've got such mixed feelings about it it depends what they do if they do it like to hear that that is potentially on the cards really like yeah <laughs> but then i might just be like wow it's the best thing ever wow i'm so, well, totally but the thing, so if,
1: if i give you a if they do a faction sub specific unit which they haven't done yet well yeah, they, they historically have done but they haven't done it for primaris yeah, that that can. does open the way for things like dark angels and blood angels to start getting these kind of older units yeah. upgraded into primaris so that will potentially be a good sign
0: yeah they've technically done it for ultramarines and they've technically done it for space wolves so space oh wolves yes, have got, so they the, got
1: the, the vitrix uh, honor guard didn't they yeah they got
0: vitrix honor guard but outside of that, no one else has any Primaris specialist units. Maybe, hang on, let me really,
1: really think about this. No. Not beyond, um, we've just taken a unit and we painted them a different color. So you've got obviously. Aren't that? So Victory and Sonnegard are legitimately an Ultramarines yeah. only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, so with the Space Wolves, you've got that new Reaver squad, yeah, which is just I a Reaver squad um, yeah. with some special rules. <laughs> and obviously blood angels have the death company primaris version but it's just a regular primaris but painted a different color and yeah, I, I think yeah. they might, might get a couple of extra gear options but that's kind of it if they are, if they did yeah. but i don't I'm not sure yeah
0: weirdly you can mix up their weapons so you can actually have bolt rifles and and um and uh, chain
1: swords and things mm. That's cool. That- yeah, I, 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 yeah. I think if if they do it, it'll probably may- maybe the special, not even special special units are just going to be like one or two models as opposed to an entire yeah. five man squad of something. Wouldn't it, again,
0: wouldn't it be mad though if they go right here is a full Black Templar range and then all your Blood Angel players and Dark Angels players are like what? Screaming and, like- into the void. I mean, at the same time, right? I mean, they've got to start with something, and I suppose if it is that they start to introduce new specific Primaris stuff for the Templars first, then fair enough, but
1: I don't know, man. I wouldn't...
0: I wouldn't... Oh, who knows, I'm, right? you know, I mean, I'm not
1: expecting it to be... If they did Black Templars, I wouldn't expect it to be, like, a whole unit. I would expect it to be a character or two, an upgrade pack, or, like or the unit is seen by servitors like i don't think that yeah if they did neo fight scarman that'd be interesting but I... I,
0: think, I think if they did a really interesting like upgrade kit for say the assault intercessor kit where it was like actually you got like the robes and then you got maybe the chained uh, chained on sword arms yeah um then that would be cool cuz the thing is if they did the standard clamshell single sprue here's a bunch of shoulder pads and here's a bunch of terminator shot, not Terminator, like um grab, it. grab it shoulder pads So they're just, eh, whatever but yeah if they if they go to town on it and do something an upgrade kit that's really really on point then i think that's going to be it's going to be exciting man but yeah I, I mean honestly they are bottom of my my list at the moment i, I would love to see a fantastic craft world update or something along that would. line yeah but I mean, what I'd like to see guard for God's sakes. Oh like, my God. Did guard. you see
1: the funny, it was like a meme going around of guard through the ages. And I think it was from either fourth or fifth edition all the way up to the current edition. And it's the same caddy shock troop model from, wow. the, that's a lot of editions.
0: Well, I mean, again, as an elder player, I I can I can, I can beat most of those stats because um, the elder a lot of the elder range hasn't changed since the early nineties. True. So, yeah.
1: so you know I, I I would hope that in ninth edition a lot of these ranges do get a bit of a bigger refresh. Um, they
0: really need it, mate. They really need it. But again and what would be really interesting as well, I suppose, last thing on this Templar Rumour nonsense if they were to go here is teplar specific primaris stuff it's again another nail in the coffin of firstborn right that's another firstborn you know they're heading to the woodshed
1: i don't know i think there's still lots of love I, I, i sort of generally feel like it would be a coke new coke situation where they would be verging on phasing out firstborn and then what they do is they go, here's a whole new range of re-sculpted firstborn in, oh, totally do that, in yeah. sort of true scale size, not quite Primaris, but you know, it'd be uniquely different, like the um Heroes range, which yeah, are yeah, kind maybe. of new sculpts. I could imagine they would do that at some point when, because obviously they need to sell more Primaris and more Marines. And in, say, five years time, would they just keep churning out Primaris or will they be like, people now want old Marines.
0: <laughs> it's the uh, it's a great marketing ploy on there. But, because the the thing the is, I,
1: I think loads of people love the concept of the old Star Marines, but are just put off by the sculpts because they're so old and they don't proportionally look very good. So I, I think totally thematically, agree. they both have a place in the world and in the lore, that, but I think they need to update those sculpts if they're going to keep them around much longer Mm. no i totally agree mate totally agree right okay
0: well look there you go i reckon that pretty much wraps up the show i don't know how long that's going to have gone for but it seems to have been a while uh if you would like to support us in any way shape or form we don't ask for your money in fact actually funny little story we actually had some people reaching out to us to try and advertise with us recently we told them where to go didn't we phil we said no none of that here we know what you're
1: we actually said unless you're going to pay us no but we didn't even say that. We just ignored that. We didn't
0: even say that. Mate. We didn't even say that. We actually had some people reach out to try and appear on the show that we didn't really know that well as well, which was one of those things where it was like, eh, not really sure what that's going to sound like, so decided against it.
1: I mean, we we haven't. Oh, I think also just in general, we, we I'm sure we will have guests on like next week. We've got Tim on. He's a good mate <laughs> of ours. But also, we did initially just want to get the format of just the two of us, the Jolas. <laughs> um down and I think we're sort of getting there. So I think you know eventually we'll get some we'll get some rock star famous people on. You know, oh, really? totally. you know, soon Lawrence will be knocking on our door going, please can I come on your put, I've heard it's the best thing. But I, I will say on. no to him as well. Get
0: out of no. here. Oh no not <laughs> Lawrence. Not, Lawrence.
1: not Lawrence, no.
0: no he's got he can put up some big numbers. You got you gotta support <laughs> the numbers. No, I don't know man. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because I think that's one of the things that's becoming really interesting about the project for us is that like you know we're approaching it with a new lease of life and we're approaching it with a new attitude but it is still the same old same old thing and there's still a lot of the same stuff in there in terms of our reservations around doing stuff for the sake of doing it noting that obviously we've had people appear on the show uh where you know it didn't quite work in the past and I think that's one of the things I'm really protective about is I don't really like the idea of just getting people on for the sake of it bizarrely I'm more likely to get people on who are like big fans of the show who talk to us on a regular basis than I am to get like some bigger people on. I mean, you know, our most recent one, we had Valric appear and that was purely because we started talking to him because of, you know, weird life circumstances, things just came to know him and we got on so well with him. It was so difficult not to sort of take advantage of the opportunity to get him on because he just, it just works so well because he's a genuinely lovely bloke and easy to talk to But then when you find some other people who aren't quite as comfortable in that scenario, it, it, it turns into one of those things where it just doesn't quite work as well. And the last thing I want to do is do another scary type podcast, not you to got, name you names. Got
1: but got to, you got to stop bashing his name. I don't think it was
0: Personal level, it just didn't work on this show.
1: Yeah, as far as I'm concerned.
0: You know, someone out there thinks differently i'm not i've got anything against the guy it just didn't work and i don't want to get become that guy that just gets people on for the sake of getting people on
1: for the numbers and i
0: know you're gonna ask you're gonna tell me for you're gonna come and cut that out don't don't shame him leaving it i'm leaving it in because I'm, I'm not shaming him I'm just pointing out that that's an example of where it didn't work now, i hear I'm... he's gotten better i hear he's probably more on point if you got if we should get him on today do a compare and contrast
1: Oh well, yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, we got, uh,
0: we got history, we got
1: form. We we'll get poorly on. He's got, uh, he's got, he's got a big crowd. He's got lots of followers, so you know.
0: Exactly. And, and and look he's a great guy i mean on a personal level really enjoyed chatting to him as, as a person but yeah just uh, within our it just didn't work with our show and, format
1: I, well I, th- I think to an extent it's like if, if he came on to talk about for example the new jacari codex perfect but i oh, think yeah. we got him on and we weren't really talking about that and it was just more like what did you do um
0: it, and, and it, to Scarry's defense right It wasn't his fault that it was bad. It was our fault it was bad because we didn't know him. We just were like, we saw the number. We saw the opportunity and we went we want that we want the the notoriety we want the prestige so we chased it and we went oh. cool let's get him
1: on no he just seemed like an interesting person and he was the first to approach us I mean,
0: honestly, from my perspective i was all about the numbers back then i was like yeah cool get him on because it will help grow our show and then you know there's no there isn't it, it's not a surprise that that's the first show we ever did like a trailer for and all this we tried to leverage him mm. because because you know, that was exciting to us back then but then you realize that You'd done him a disservice because we didn't really i i didn't anyway i didn't know enough about him and then i just sort of found myself sort of padding out for time and it just turned and that's the thing man i just haven't i haven't got the discipline to to to, to research these people enough to want to bring them in because ultimately oh, I did <laughs>
1: not them it's me <laughs> <laughs> it's like, at least you're owning it
0: exactly exactly so apologies if it seems like i'm being rude to scurry it's not his fault it's my fault i'm i'm just a terrible interviewer unless i know who you are <laughs> and that's how it is yeah, right phil
1: you completely okay
0: so anyway there you go we've been uh we've been approached by some people uh, we haven't said yes to him yet but we might do we might change our mind who knows but yeah we're going to get tim on next show uh when the Drakari drop we're we'll probably uh Get Paulie on because he's always been great when he's come on, and we get on really well with him. So looking forward to getting on the show, um, uh, get him doing that, and then at some point we need oh, to sure get it, Richie it, on.
1: It. We can't even get Lawrence on for for the Jokari episode.
0: big man, big
1: man, big man,
0: mate. If you can get him, bring him along.
1: I I, I chat to him on Instagram like twice in my whole life. I'm sure I could hook him up.
0: I've had many phone conversations with him over the uh, over the years, and I speak to him at events. And he's always lovely, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure he'd be great, but I don't, I don't think he's going to be clambering over himself to appear yeah, Do you. I, I
1: imagine he's too busy.
0: Although I did,
1: he so. did, didn't he do um, Paulie's um, Real Space Raiders podcast? Oh, did he? Why well, I heard he was going to. I don't know if he actually has, because obviously I'm not Jokari no. player. I don't listen to his podcast. <laughs>
0: Come on, Phil, you're not supposed to be so cruel to Paulie and his efforts oh, over at no. Real Space Radio.
1: I mean, I, you know, if I was to do a Krieg podcast, which this often is, is um, do. I do not expect him to listen to that.
0: Like... Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> you're a fair man in that respect. You're only, you're only, you only speak the truth. I listened um, to the very
1: first one, just out have curiosity.
0: What, because Joe appeared on it? Uh,
1: yeah, I wanted to see how good he is on other people's podcasts and if he actually shows up or not.
0: Well, you know, spoilers, he's mostly terrible on other people's <laughs> podcasts. No, and again, this obviously sounds really bad, but one of the funniest things about Joe is I think he's the best he could ever be here with us because we're mean. his actual legit friends, whereas it, where everywhere else he appears, he just sort of does it out of some weird sense of obligation
1: to people. And he's
0: always sort of he's had paid to, take on to do that. it
1: because it's work now.
0: Oh yeah, for work stuff, but he always takes on this really dour tone by comparison. He doesn't seem like the man you've come to know here. He feels like he feels like Joe under duress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would leave that in there as well. Whatever, right? Let it roll. Let it roll. Let's yeah. be controversial. Let's, be, let's stoke the fires. <laughs>
1: let's have as many internet fights with as many celebrities from the 40k world as we can.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, as I said, it's all on me, man. Like I, I uh, it's you know, it's it, it, a lot of the time it's down to my it's my fault that, that, that these things don't go as well as they should do and. I own that, but at the same time, I also understand that I want to try and navigate, and that's what makes us quite awkward in terms of who we will and won't work with now. Because it's that thing where it's like if it doesn't, if it doesn't just work out of the box, I'm just not interested in working at it. And just you know, I just like, I just like to pick it up and put it somewhere and go. There you go, it, it functions. Whereas if I have to put extra effort in, I just don't have capacity for it. Between editing this, going through the motions of even learning about some of our main segments and keeping things interesting is this you well know, i don't want to suggest it's a lot of work because that would be i think insulting to people who do a lot of work but it's not not work you know <laughs> you, you know what i mean the show. um but there you go there's a bit of a unnecessarily honest insight in the thing of uh, and that's the end of the show. if you want to support us as i say reach out to us on social media Tell us that, uh, you know, that you think we're the worst people in the world or whatever, or maybe say nice things such as the five star reviews. They were always really appreciated. Uh, We do really you guys do that. So thank you. Uh, Obviously, as well, we don't say it enough, but obviously, you know, stay safe. It is a crazy, topsy-turvy world out there at the moment. So, you know, obviously, we hope all you guys are doing well in your own lives and your own worlds and that, you know, nothing's going terribly wrong for you. Uh, and we hope in our own little way that we're able to help you guys escape from and uh, enjoy uh, your day to day existence in these uh, otherwise turbulent times. So, yeah. Phil, any closing thoughts before we say goodbye?
1: That was quite a weird tangent at the end. Um, I think, <laughs> hopefully, we haven't offended anyone too much. Um, obviously, oh, it all meant all right. in good jest and humor, I think. Yeah, exactly. It's that a joke. Yes, yeah, all, all a joke, all very good. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so- Th- th- yes, uh, mm-hmm. th- thanks for listening, everyone. It's been appreciated. Yeah, rack up those five star reviews and we'll read them out, or um, you know, reach out to us on Instagram when we ask for feedback on next week's topic, which will be Death Guard, which we actually know for a change in advance. So, um, yeah, drop us a message over on the Instagrams or Facebook or the YouTube comments. There you go. Don't
0: forget that, YouTube. All right, guys. Bye bye.
1: <laughs> Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye.